Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Wednesday, June 5th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary journalist Monroe Anderson returns. We welcome back the ace attorney himself, the one and only Jim Coogan of Dwyer and Coogan. And it's the Ben Jarofsky Show debut of 7th Congressional District Candidate, Keena Collins. And now your host, not a candidate. Look at those dance moves. You wouldn't elect him. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Cynical Wednesday. And here's why. Woke up this morning, D, to a double whammy of bad news. Uh, whammy number one. Oh, God. <laughs> hear that bad news. Uh, voters in L.A. defeated a referendum to raise property taxes to fund their public schools. Uh, public schools need money. Don't get the money. Bad news, number one. Bad news, number two. Well, it's not really bad news, but it was a brilliant column by uh, Phil Kadner in today's Bright One. Home Delivered. In the middle of a storm, okay? It was good news. You got to give the delivery person a lot of credit. Was, were you up last night at 4.30 in the morning? No, I was not. It's not last night. Were you up at 4.30 in the morning? No, I was not. Guess who was? <laughs> not surprised. Reading a very long New Yorker article about Better O'Rourke. I read it, folks, so you don't have to read it. You're welcome. Okay, now I know everything about Give me a question about Better O'Rourke. Uh, what does, uh, what's his middle name? Billy Bob. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking it was it. I just made that up. Anyway, okay, I don't know his middle name, but he, I believe he has a middle name. Uh, that's a good question, by the way. Very good question. Where was I? Oh, yes. The paper arrived at uh, 4.30, and I read Phil Kadner's column. I urge everybody to read it. Illinois keeps relying on failed trickle-down theory of government spending. Anyway, the reason I say that's bad news is because it's connected to the bad news in L.A. I will now explain. First, L.A., as near as I could tell from reading the articles that have appeared on my phone, voters uh, in L.A. voted no on uh, raising property taxes to fund public schools because they were convinced by a well-funded opposition campaign waged by the local business community, in particular the Chamber of Commerce. I cannot, however, completely blame the Chamber of Commerce for the vote, uh, as much as I'd like to, by the way. Uh, Voters uh, are very skeptical that the money they pay in their taxes will go to the things they want to fund with their tax dollars. So if you ask them to voluntarily raise their taxes, to dig into their pockets and pay more for government, they're liable to say no, because I don't believe you're going to spend the money fairly, accurately, efficiently, etc., and so forth. And so I have to tell you, folks, I can relate 
Having lived in Chicago for the last 40 years, I watch my property taxes each year, D, go up, up, up. And yet, public schools, which I put at the top of the list for what I want my taxes to go to, are always near broke. So how can that be? You know how that can be? The money's not going where it's supposed to. And that brings me to Phil Kadner's excellent, and I mean excellent, column. It's kind of like a... You know, Phil Kenner's been covering politics for a long time, just as I have. And so he's just a little jaded uh, as he approaches it. But he does it with a tad of a sense of humor. Let's start off with the column. Illinois is a strange place to live. Baseball teams deliberately lose games and their fans enthusiastically support their strategy. Elected officials get indicted by federal grand juries, but get reelected. The state, as a financial strategy, fails to make its pension payments, generates billions of dollars in debt, and then passes tax hikes so it can spend more money. People who don't live here don't understand it. Heck, people who do live here can't explain it. Oh, yes, indeed. Wait, he's got more. We need the state to come up with money for public education because the state has failed to adequately support public schools. Property taxes are among the highest in the nation. We need to repair roads and bridges and spend more on public transportation. We have to do something to address the growing pension debt. But I understand why so many people in this state are angry. Nationally, Republicans talk about the trickle-down theory of economics, which basically tends, contends that if the richest folks in this country make more money, some of that will trickle down to the working-class people. In Illinois, the Democratic Party theory seems to be if you give politicians more money, some of it will eventually trickle down to the government programs that actually benefit taxpayers. Here, here. Trickle down Democratic policies. Give the government more of your money and hope, please, God, oh, please, that some of it gets to where you want it to go, like schools. Meanwhile, Sun-Times and Tribune are filled with stories about Alderman Ed Burke pleading guilty, uh, pleading not guilty, I should say, uh, to charges of having shaken down developers seeking TIF handouts. Speaking of property tax dollars that gets thrown out the window, it doesn't go anywhere where anybody wants it to go. I could think of few things that have more undercut the credibility of our political system than the actions of Ed Burke, who's been the finance chair in the city council since the 90s, uh, served there under Richard Daley, served there under Rahm Emanuel. He used his position of power to shake down and extort and approve tax hikes that just undercut our, our belief in the system. Here's the irony. For years, he was supported in his campaigns by some of the same leading citizens of Chicago, who are the counterparts, I should say, of the folks in L.A. who undercut the referendum to raise taxes for the school. As bad as things are in Chicago and in L.A., obviously the system works just fine for the powerful. We got a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anderson will be here at 1.30 talking. You know what he's going to be talking uh, gardening. <laughs> no, that's Automotive. Mike, Mike Novak. He's not going to be here Sports. today. Trump, Trump, Trump. Golf. And more Trump. Oh. But I may, you know, throw a, a local uh, issue at him and uh, one or two of those. And Jim Coogan will be here at 2 o'clock. Speaking of Trump, 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 that's our ace attorney. Knows more about the legal issues. He's been away. We've been missing very uh, big legal. We miss uh, you, Jim. Court case. He's uh, just recently settled, or he just won, I should say, jury verdict. So he'll be in to talk more Trump, Trump, Trump. 
And Keena Collins will be in here as well. She's running for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. We had Anthony Clark yesterday. We got Keena Collins in here today. We're going to reach out to Danny K. Davis, bring him in as well. Come on. It's political time. Campaigns are heating up. All right, D? All right, we got to get knowledgeable. Okay. All right. All right. Quit yelling. <laughs> you got to study your issues. Yeah, okay. Right. okay. I will. Do 10 push-ups. Oh, my. <laughs> All right, so after he does his 10 push-ups, he's going to give us the national news. Eight. <laughs> nine. Oh, boy. Ten. Oh, my God. You're, yeah, you know what? You're, as, push-ups. you're as in good shape as Andy Ruiz, who's now the heavyweight champion. Okay, that was an insult. That's a big feller there. All right, people. It's the middle of a beautiful day here in Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> Let's begin by unpacking the national news happening this afternoon. And, Ben, don't unpack your suitcase just yet, all right? It's day three of our president's visit to the United <laughs> Kingdom. Let's do what we did yesterday. Let's hop over across the pond again. <laughs> Let's find out what's going on, huh? I love that airplane. <laughs> All right, we're in the UK again. Oh, yeah. Fast traveling. <laughs> That's a fast airplane, man. All right, and don't worry, everyone. This is the final day of Donald Trump's visit, so the uh, the airplane bit will be done after today's show. Oh, no, I like the airplane bit. Man. President Trump joined world leaders today to commemorate the 75th anniversary of D-Day in Portsmouth on the final day of his visit. Trump and Queen Elizabeth greeted D-Day veterans after the ceremony, hearing their stories and thanking them for their service. Trump also had a brief private chat with German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Mm, oh, remember he was insulting her a little while ago? Now they made up, huh? That's how he rolls. You know, you know that song, Make Up to Break Up? Want me to sing it? No. Okay. Thank you. Trump <laughs> then boarded Air Force One to fly to Ireland. Ooh, yeah, okay. I guess gonna, we're, who's he going to insult over there? I don't know, but I guess Bo- we're, I guess we're Bono? going to... I don't know. We're going to Ireland, though. Okay. Let's figure it out, everybody. <laughs> Come on, Ben. All right. What's that? Wait, that's... It's the Ireland oh, National the Ireland. Anthem. Okay, okay. Oh, big Ireland fan this guy is. <laughs> Uh, ben, put the booze down. We're here on assignment. Okay. Now. Come on. It's kind of early to be drinking anyway. Yeah, so says he. But I'll be drinking tonight watching that big ball game. All right. We're in Ireland. All right. During his visit to Ireland, <laughs> Donald Trump plans to visit the tiny village of Dunbeg, which, by the way, is adjacent to his golf course oh, and God. resort. <laughs> That's right. He's got golf courses in Scotland, Ireland. Now I'm looking around here because remember, guys, we're in Ireland right now. Hear the music? That's Ireland. Okay. I'm looking around here and nope. I do not see as many protests as we did in the UK. Isn't that interesting? Ah, that's because a- many locals in Dunbeg are actually fans of Trump. They consider his business an economic lifeline. Really? Would you yeah. read that? Yeah, in the news, Ben. <laughs> Breitbart? <laughs> that sounds like some Breitbart stuff. I know his uh, golf course has been really controversial in Scotland, so I didn't know he was so loved in Ireland. They love him in Ireland. Yeah, and what a multitasker this guy is, because while doing all of this traveling and commemorating, yeah. our president still found time to troll <laughs> people like a psychopath. Uh, yeah. And we knew you wouldn't let us down, Donald. So let's, uh, you see, back in the States here, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wait, we got to go back to the United States. Hold on. Oh, oh, we're back. <laughs> Is he back already? No, we're back. Oh, I see. In the United States. Get with it. <laughs> okay. I, I liked Ireland. I was going to, you know, stop into a pub. Here in the States. Get yeah, I know. Guinness. I said, don't drink. Oh, okay. We're get on assignment. For, get ready for that big game tonight. Okay. He loves the game tonight. <laughs> Here in the States, Donald Trump is facing a bit of revolt from Senate Republicans over his plan to put tariffs oh, on Mexican goods. We're going to be talking to Monroe about this. On Tuesday, about a half a dozen GOP senators stood to speak about why tariffs are a bad idea. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer predicted Trump would not follow through with the 5% tariff, and since it probably wouldn't be on his best uh, in his best interest to trash the GOP, he decided to just troll Schumer instead. <laughs> 
I do. <laughs> I have Donald Trump's That's funny. I have Donald Trump's Twitter page uh, open right. in my browser. Just let me click on okay. it here. One second. Okay. We're now on Donald Trump's. Oh, Twitter I haven't page. heard this one in a while. What happened to the ukulele? Bringing it back, baby. Okay. All right. Here's the tweet from Donald Trump. Can you imagine <laughs> crying Chuck Schumer saying out loud for all to hear that I am bluffing with respect to putting tariffs on Mexico? What a creep. What he a would, creep? He said what a creep. That's what I said. He would rather have our country <laughs> fail with drugs and immigration than give Republicans a win. But he gave uh, Mexico bad advice. Okay. No bluff. Yeah. All right, folks. Listen, at, at one level, this is very entertaining. Uh, and it raises the question, uh, is Donald Trump out of his mind? Uh, he s- certainly is not behaving like any president we've ever seen before. So uh, maybe the other presidents were out of their mind. Uh, this is a question. Uh, I'm going to put this one to, uh, to Monroe Anderson when he comes in. But uh, to put out a tweet that the, the Democratic man, uh, leader in the Senate is a creep. Interesting choice of words uh, from our president of the United States. And uh, let's face it, folks, uh, you know it as well as I do. There has not been any long-term analytical strategic thought about trade policy. This is just something that has just popped up out of Donald Trump's mind. Uh, Everybody in the White House is scrambling to come up with something vaguely logical to defend it and uh, explain why people in this country should be socked uh, by the consequences of a trade war. Like, what is it for us long-term? Why is this a good idea? Uh, He's so, he's using trade first in China, just sort of uh, in, the, in the general sense to uh, to exploit the notion that somehow China has had an unfair advantage over us over the years without any study, any analysis. And now all of a sudden he's throwing it at Mexico to use tariffs as a tool to hammer Mexico over immigration to make it seem as though he's doing something for a problem that he largely inflated uh, in order to get elected president uh, because he can't get his wall built. So it's as though uh, Donald Trump is just making the stuff up as he goes along, D. Uh, and so Schumer called him out on him, and he responded by calling him a creep. That's our president, D. Oh, and remember yesterday he called uh, the mayor of London a stone-cold loser. Yeah, there we go. Is he deranged? Has <laughs> <laughs> the bar fallen? No, that's normal behavior. After that, on Twitter, he quoted a statement of support from House Minority Leader and resident Trump rump kisser Kevin McCarthy. And you know he couldn't resist this here. Trump then weighed in on the allegations that 2020 candidate and former Vice President Grandpa Joe, Joe Biden's campaign, plagiarized parts of his climate change plan, but predicted the, quote, corrupt media will save him and yes <laughs> and yes in the tweet he called him uh, sleepy joe okay. uh, we're gonna be talking about that uh, with monroe as well the plagiarism complaint about joe joe biden has some issues with plagiarism 1988 of course his uh this is way before you were even born d was it are you a baby uh, back then most of the millennials don't even know what i'm talking about 1988 the year was the chicago bulls five years old playoff uh, against the cleveland cavaliers huh did you know that huh? yeah michael jordan made that shot no that was 89 no. uh, in 88 it went to five they didn't need the incredible shot to win it but anyway i digress uh, that's our uh, sports <laughs> talk for the day hope you had fun uh anyway 1998 uh campaign was uh, joe biden's campaign ended with a, a plagiarism charges my sense of it is that the bar is so low things have uh, devolved so much in politics uh, where you know the president survived uh, his the tape of him talking about grabbing women by their private parts uh, you know lawsuits with strippers uh, affairs with strippers when his wife had recently given birth so we've 
we've descended to a new low uh, in national politics. I have a f- feeling that somehow or other the plagiarism accusations will not in and of themselves uh, derail Biden's campaign. And speaking of our 2020 Democratic presidential candidates, a few of them have unveiled some presidential plans. And hey, here's something different, Ben. The candidates aren't Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. And <laughs> yeah, we're starting to see some substance here in the POTUS race. Ben Jarofsky, first up, Senator slash candidate Kirsten Gillibrand. Mm-hmm. While she may have been reading the Illinois news lately, Gillibrand has unveiled a proposal to legalize marijuana nationwide. She vows to immediately deschedule marijuana as a federal controlled substance, expunge all nonviolent marijuana convictions at the the federal level and establish a national process to make marijuana production and consumption clean, safe, and sustainable. Here, here. I'm all for it. About time. The war on drugs was a complete failure, waste of money, a waste of time. Let's just move on. Washington Governor Jay Inslee, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the climate change guy, had released another climate change plan today. This is now the third proposal to tackle the issue from his presidential campaign. This plan focuses on restoring the United States' international climate leadership. It calls for rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement and then holding bilateral negotiations with major economic powers to develop more ambitious targets than the ones in the original agreement. Here, here. I'm, a, I'm all for that as well. We're, we cannot re- grass we've got retreat on the fight to save our planet it's only saving our planet right d so good for him up next democratic presidential hopeful and candidate who may own the most skateboards it could be a tie between (laughs) him and bernie sanders i'm not sure we haven't checked beto o'rourke he unveiled a sweeping voting rights based policy plan tuesday night that promises to ban pack money from political campaigns impose term limits on elected officials and supreme court justices and increase voter registration by 50 million by 2024. Wow. Hmm. Term limits on Supreme Court justices. Uh, our good friend David Ferris has been talking about that for a long time. I actually think there's a lot of merit in that. Uh, it's become such a, the Supreme Court has become such a political game uh, and the, the notion of lifetime service. So if, if your party is wins, quote unquote wins, because Donald Trump didn't even win the popular vote. If your party wins, then you get to uh, select a Supreme Court justice uh, and uh, that serves for years and years far beyond uh, that limited what four or eight year term that you serve that you have served as president so i do believe uh, that it's time we re- reconsider lifetime uh service on the Supreme Court, lifetime terms on the Supreme Court. Maybe there should be limited term. I think uh, Ferris is on to something. Beto O'Rourke's plan is made up of three parts. Number one, (laughs) increase participation within our democracy. Uh Number two, remove barriers within our democracy. And finally, Number three, rebuild confidence in our democracy. All right. Well, I can, you know, as, as a general principles, I can, you know, it's hard to argue with any of those three things. You get the, the truth is in the pudding, <laughs> in the particulars of it. By the way, this long article I read, did I tell you I read a really long article? Oh, about yeah. it? It went bragging about it all day. Well, I don't know about bragging, more like complaining. Anyway, I did read <laughs> the article. Okay. I read the article. And one of the interesting things is that uh, Better O'Rourke, he's, Yes, he's a young man. He's 46, I want to say, but he's already evolved. You know, the politicians evolve a lot younger uh, these days. And he, when he started out uh, in his his earliest days uh, in El Paso, uh, he was sort of like a gentrifier, if you follow me on this one, D. So imagine a young Beto O'Rourke in Logan Square on the north side of Chicago uh, passing, uh, helping to pass uh, legislation, local planning initiatives that speed up gentrification and move uh, working class and poor people out. Interesting that he's evolved from those days. 
days. So now he's talking about democracy and how important it is that everybody get involved. And, uh, you know, I'm always a little skeptical about uh, these young candidates who come in out of nowhere and uh, want to be president before what? Well, he was three-term congressman, so anyway. And finally, the candidate who seems to be literally no one's pick for president. I wonder why. New Jersey Senator Cory Big Pharma Booker. <laughs> He proposed a new housing plan today calling for a new tax credit for renters. Under the proposal, anyone paying more than 30% of their income on rent would be eligible for a refundable tax credit. The tax credit would cover the difference between 30% of the person's income and their rent, Mm -hmm. capped at the federally determined fair market rent for their neighborhood. An estimated 57 million people could benefit from the credit, with the average family getting $4,800 a year. Mm -hmm. Booker is also proposing requiring cities and towns that want certain federal transportation and housing grants to eliminate restrictive zoning rules in order to make it easier to build affordable yeah well this is all about a building affordable housing and if you give a tax credit to renters you're effectively subsidizing the rent that their uh, landlords charge so effectively you're uh, giving more money to the landlords if you think about it that way uh, because you're entering a marketplace uh, that enables them uh, to charge a lot in rent that uh, afford uh, that working class people can afford so uh I, I got to think about this one uh, for a while, D, before how I decide how much I'm jumping aboard it. Uh, but it's clear. I was just reading a story today in the paper about the affordable housing crisis in L.A., the homeless uh, situation throughout California, oh, and even here in Chicago. Uh, our real estate markets are, are far too expensive for uh, so many of the people to afford. So what are we just going to force people to just keep moving away from cities, constantly force relocation uh, out of uh, gentrifying areas i don't know if that's the free market approach but uh maybe we have to uh inter uh sort of intercede uh in the free market and um try to protect the interests of working class people now of course we will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along people we're moving on and after this short little break we're going to find out what's going on locally here in chicago and illinois we are going to find out what else is news don't go anywhere the ben Jarofsky show will be right back did you know that 40 percent of the people in illinois opt to be cremated well it's true and chicagoland cremation options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Hey! 
Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun Times. Oh, I love this. Where do you get this great music, man? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man, it fires me up. All right, what you got for me, young man? I know you're going to do the deep dive in the local news. All right, everybody, you're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. And with all that's been going on lately in Illinois and all this good legislation being passed, somewhat of a much-needed slow news day locally in Chicago and Illinois. So, Ben, what do you say with the time we have left? Why don't we poke fun at the Chicago Tribune, <laughs> huh? Always a fun thing to do in the Ben Always a good way to kill time here on the Ben Jarrod. Yeah, let me just show. say something, though. I subscribe to the Chicago Tribune. Right? I may make fun of it from time to time, but I subscribe to it. All right, D, I support it. Okay. I don't, but okay. Tribune jokes coming your way in a moment. <laughs> okay. But first. After years of neglect, Illinois is finally getting its mojo back, and we're open for business. All right. You know, typically I'd say you're full of it, but Governor Pritzker. You may be right. The Big Fellers Illinois Rehab Tour continues. Today, our Democratic Illinois Governor, J.B. Pritzker, is in Chicago. Pritzker will be visiting the Thompson Center to sign the state budget and fair tax legislation. Uh, this is going to be happening at 3.15 this afternoon. Ben Jarofsky, how are we feeling about J.B. Pritzker oh, these I'm days? I'm liking J.B. Uh, all right, Terry Cosgrove's listening. All right, Terry, you were right and I was wrong. Remember he said you have to put your big boy pants on and support a billionaire? Uh, for governor. I'll tell you what, one little example that uh, some people have told me about when he did, uh, dug into his pockets and put that big party together where uh, P Funk was there, George Clinton. I don't you know weren't was, invited? Yeah, yeah, I was not. <laughs> remember, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so other people told me not only was uh, George Clinton there, but they had quite an array of outstanding liquors and whiskeys, etc. People were having a good old time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the reporting crew was like, uh, yeah, well. The point is, it just loosened everybody up. Everyone was happy. They were cutting deals. It's just like, you know, he found a way just to be so likable, maybe throwing a party. And I'm like, you know, uh, in the real, like in the abstract, we shouldn't have to have parties and George Clinton concerts to do the right thing. But apparently that's where we are, D. So uh, that's just one example of where having a billionaire uh, as governor sort of comes in handy. So, hey, Governor Pritzker, if you're listening to this at the moment, next time you bring an awesome band like P-Funk into town, <laughs> invite this guy, would you? <laughs> Earth, Wind, and Fire, maybe they're coming. Invite Ben. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Love, Earth, Wind, and Fire. All right, now to pick it on the Tribune editorial board here. Recreation, uh, recreational marijuana legalization is coming to Illinois in January 2020. Yes, it's true. <laughs> and believe it or not, this is leaving a few of our Illinois friends of the conservative persuasion yeah, at a loss for words. A little confused they are. But luckily for us here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. That is not the case with our centrist to conservative leaning friends over at the Chicago Tribune and their editorial board. They have words about reefer, legalization, and they're pretty hilarious. Okay. <laughs> Wait, before you take the deep dive, can I just say something nice about the Tribune? Okay. All right. You know, we've been I've been making fun of the Tribune for their headlines, all right? And talking about how clever the Sun Times. Remember 
cockadoodle don't <laughs> do i still want me to show that anyway cockadoodle don't uh, All right. Well, we're gonna, you're, you're gonna talk about the headline for this article. Yeah, oh, we're okay. getting oh. there, bud. We're getting there. Jumping ahead with oh, recreational. Sorry about that. Recreational marijuana on the way. I had to throw my bench. What a catch by Leah. <laughs> with recreational marijuana on the way in 2020, the Chicago Tribune has weighed in with their thoughts on recreational marijuana. And Ben, the Trib is so hip. <laughs> Don't are. believe me? Just listen to the headline of this column. Okay. <laughs> recreational marijuana. Yeah. Illinois embarks on a long, strange trip. Whoa. Now, Ben, you were just mentioning it here. I know you love these headlines in the paper. I know you love these headlines in the paper. I mean, this headline from the Tribune is no cockadoodle don't. But before we move on and read some of this article, <laughs> Ben Jarofsky on a one to five scale, one being the worst, five being the best. Please rate the headline. Recreational marijuana, Illinois embarks on a long, strange trip. Uh, I... I'm sorry. That's not the headline I had in mind I was going to give him a shout-out for. Uh, that's a two. I mean, it's uh, it's a cliche. By the way, for 10 trivia points, do you know where they got that headline? Grateful Dead. What song? Uh, Truckin'. Whoa! Dang, man! How'd you know that? Let's sing hey, it. my mom's a hippie. Truckin', got my chips cashed in. Anyway, the point is, that line has been used so many times. And the reality is, is that marijuana is not this foreign alien thing that conservatives pretend it is to justify their war on drugs that they've been waging or forcing the country to wage since the 60s or 70s. Uh, Most people, I would say, in Chicago have smoked marijuana. I bet you, D, right now in corporate boardrooms at the Tribune headquarters, there are people who smoked marijuana last night. How about that, D? Maybe even on their lunch break. (laughs) So, But people pretend like, oh. It's such a weird thing. It's such an outer dimension. It's a long, strange trip. So I don't know, man. It's it. I think it uh, just sort of underscores the problem with the opposition to marijuana in the first place. So what? Uh, what number did you give it? I was being nice. I'm really feeling the Tribune today. I'm gonna give it two. Two. Okay. And five is the best. One is the absolute worst. Or zero is the absolute. Remember, I used to give Ronner negative ten. <laughs> hey, Tribune, you're better than Ronner. All right, so let's read a little bit of this. Of course, they supported uh, Rounder. <laughs> oh, God. All right, let's read a little bit of this article here. Oh, uh, you riff on it, and we'll end the segment. How's that Oh, sound? wait, can I just give him a shout-out for this one headline? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I just, come on. I, I give him grief, all right? And I always talk about how great the Sun-Times headlines are and the Sun-Times. But uh, in this case, I think, i got to say, the Tribune's casino headline ah, is better than the bright ones. Okay. All right, so here's Uh-oh. the bright ones. Headline wars. Okay. <laughs> Southeast side alderman wants casino entertainment near Lake Calumet. Our good friend, Alderman Susan Sadlowski-Garza, wants this casino down there. So, southeast side alderman wants casino entertainment near Lake Calumet. Uh, that's heading in the snoozer country, if you ask me. But here... Dude, I just fell asleep. <laughs> the tribunal, gotta give him credit, man. Casino site, a dicey dilemma. Whoa, Whoa Tribune! I take back in the everything I said. <laughs> Everything I said, I take it back. Tribune's living in that fast lane, man. Holy cow. Slow down, Trib. <laughs> it's no cockadoodle don't, but it's on the path. Come on, let's show. Where's the cockadoodle don't? Huh? Oh, yeah. Show them that three-week-old article, please. Please. We got to see that. Did someone clean out my editorial? Oh, no. Someone picked up after you. All right. Hey, this is not good podcasting. Oh, you looking for papers. Here we go. 
Hey, Monroe. Oh, perfect. Just, <laughs> we're not doing a podcast. cock a doodle down. all right? That's a headline. There you go. Okay. There you go. Cock-a-doodle okay. And for the love of God, let's read this and end this segment. Okay. The article reads, bringing mm. recreational marijuana to Illinois means that an, <laughs> an illicit drug will become legal Ooh. for adults. Okay. If you're old enough to have been a hippie, oh. your mind is blown, we Oh, imagine. my mind Whoa. is blown. Here we go. Hey, it's freaky for younger generations, too. Get it, freaky? <laughs> no. Freaky Friday. Oh. <laughs> Good movie, by the way. <laughs> hey, it's freaky for younger generations, too, but probably a source of pain to any pot smoker who faced uh, prosecution for what soon will be condoned as a lifestyle choice. Presuming that Governor J.B. Pritzker signs the bill delivered to him by the General Assembly, Illinois will become the 11th state to welcome weed. The legal ramifications are profound, but the culture change also feels significant, partly because drug use is a divisive issue. Many people in Illinois will celebrate their first legal highs. Others will be wary of what's to come. Oh, God, please stop. Right now, most polls I, I see show that, like, what, 68%, 70% of people in Illinois want it legalized. Uh, it, reefer smoking hasn't really been a divisive issue f- since the 60s. I got Monroe Anderson in the studio. This guy knows a thing or two about marijuana smoking. And uh, all about it. <laughs> I mean, just this notion, again, this notion. And by the way, they totally ducked the main issue about legal, uh, about marijuana being uh, illegal. There was, it was... There was a huge uh, racial divide. Black people got locked up for smoking reefer by and large, not white people. It's been legal for white people for like 30 years. You understand? So it's not like something new. White people go around smoking marijuana all the time on Roe Anderson. Yes. As a matter of I've written columns about this over the years. Yes. And the way marijuana became illegal was, I forget his name, but this was back in the 1930s when J. Edgar Hoover was getting all the press. Um, for busting um, booze places, mm-hmm. uh, speakeasies, things of that nature. So th- there was this guy in the department who was jealous of Hoover. So he lobbied to make marijuana illegal. illegal. It wasn't even illegal until then. And it was an easy move on his behalf because only Mexicans and jazz musicians, like jazz musicians, smoked it. Yeah, Louis, so, Louis Armstrong. Big yeah, smoker yeah, of marijuana. Yeah, right. All, yeah, everybody. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And but 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 the notion reefer madness. Reefer madness. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, the notion that this is such a huge divisive issue and folks are going to have to really wrestle with this one is so exaggerated. Anyway, D, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. So man. there you are, just like that. You're now in the know of what's going on in Illinois, and now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Wait, J.B. Pritzker wants to weigh I'm in. I'm J.B. Pritzker, <laughs> and I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'm going to tell you something, D, something that Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. Really? Uh, and something that Merrill Haggard, uh, we don't smoke uh, pot and uh, uh, Muskogee fame, although he had up smoking reefer big time and something that snoop dogg all agree snoop dogg loves reefer you did a great job give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash we got monroe sitting here we're going to be talking trump 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 when we return read the chicago reader to get up to speed on what's what in chicago culture food 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. All right, Monroe Anderson with me as he is every Wednesday. Uh, Monroe Anderson, Monroe Midweek, we call it here at the Ben Jarofsky Show. And Monroe well, always puts on his Facebook page essentially a cheat sheet that we're supposed to follow. Topics are supposed to cover. And most one week to another, we never get through like half of them because I have so many tangents. Since you wrote this, there's like three things I want to ask you about. Well, and also Trump always inter- inter- intervenes. Yes, because in the time between we had the conversation to set up the cheat sheet this morning and the time it took you to get to the studio trump did about three stupid things that i want to talk to you about uh but one thing i, I want to talk to you about and i'm going to talk about reefer right now we're going to put reefer to the side uh and okay, i want well, let me take one more toke oh okay. <laughs> monroe anderson <laughs> oh that monroe that's a tribute you, but by the way monroe anderson used to work for the tribune d did oh, you know that no. yeah <laughs> And I don't know how that's happened. And to spice it up even more, yeah. I worked at Newsweek with John. Um, God, I've forgotten his last name. The the head of the Tribune board. Cass. No, 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 um, no not um, John. You mean Bruce Dold? No, Bruce is the editor. Oh, okay. Bruce was the. God. Well, let's look it up. Hold on, yeah, I got the Tribune right, right. right here. By the way, Monroe, can you get us an interview with John Cass? <laughs> <laughs> he got him his job, didn't right, he, or right. something like that. Uh, He's not great. I don't know. Oh, this is great. Jonathan Berlin? I, I have no idea. Oh, McCormick. McCormick. Oh, that yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah John McCormick. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah <laughs> Fantastic right. content. Ben worked, reads I the worked, paper. Right, exactly. I worked with him for three years. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure he, you have the scars. And, and he probably wrote it himself. Uh, yeah, he and, wrote, and he wasn't smoking any. He wasn't smoking any. Okay. You know, but he was surprised by it. He didn't realize that uh, marijuana. Right. Uh, they never told me that but so he, many people he, smoke he, marijuana. John is from Iowa. 
Well, people smoke marijuana in Iowa, for goodness sake. I could tell you that for fact, all right? People smoke it downstate. People smoke it all over the place. And we act like it's some foreign thing. All right, enough marijuana talk. I have to ask you this. Yep. Uh, Do you my... have any marijuana <laughs> on you? Oh, only, sorry. Me- only medical. Okay. You can uh, have it. Okay. You're not sick. Uh, all right. So I have a confession to make here, Monroe. Many of my friends of the journalistic persuasion have been telling me lately that I'm too unfair to Trump. Okay. Uh, they say I'm too unfair to a lot of powerful politicians. I was unfair to Rahm. I was unfair to Daly. I've been, you, a lot of them are telling me. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to ask. Okay, you've been around the political block of a few years. Uh, and so I, I, I put these questions uh, to yeah. people who come on this show. And one of the questions I put to people, having spent a lot of time uh, reading about the Nixon years, I'm obsessed with the Nixon years, yeah. uh, is this question I have is, who is more deranged, Nixon or Trump? Now, they're not as concerned about Richard Milhouse Nixon because he's been dead for, you know, 30 years or whatever it's been. Right. So, all right, I'm asking you right now, do you think it's unfair to use the word deranged in relation to Donald Trump? No. <laughs> yeah, I just had to ask the question. Because he is deranged. Explain he, what you a, mean by as that. As you know, I've been on your show mm-hmm. almost every week. Right, for over two years. For over two years. And one of the things I've been guessing, because I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but is that he <laughs> suffers from either dementia yeah. and are early all right so you actually think that there's a medical reason oh, for yeah, his behavior he, yeah right exactly i think he's nuts <laughs> okay all right well clinically yeah you're definitely yeah, not a not, doctor not, right, uh, <laughs> not as a person well you know what um when i was at that other station one time oh I was yeah guest, i was, I was uh, guest hosting for dick k the great dick k yeah and I had this Northwestern psychiatrist on who had written an article from for Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And he his theory, and this is pre Trump wasn't president, he was just a candidate at the time, and he said that um he was a, um had severe severe narcissism. Mm-hmm. But he went through some other things. And of course his opinion didn't count one hundred percent because he hadn't sat down face to face and analyzed him. But he went through all the all the points to be made mm-hmm. that underscore he's crazy. He's crazy. Well, I, I uh you know, I never thought about it in terms of sort of a clinical or medical explanation the way you just did, yeah. uh, the way you just articulated I always just viewed it, well, just I'm looking at his behavior. Right. I'm looking at his tweets. Right. Uh, like today, for instance, we, we've already want, run through a few of his tweets. I don't know if you've seen them, where he called Chuck Schumer a creep. What a creep. Yeah. Uh, where yesterday he called the mayor of, of London a stone cold loser. Yeah. Uh, these are tweets from the president of the United States. Right. I don't think this is normal behavior. I think this is abnormal behavior. And so I believe that journalists who pretend as though this is normal behavior are sort of contributing this to... This is why we have Trump in the White House Explain right now. that, please. Okay. The man has been lying and saying crazy things and doing crazy things since he first rode down the escalator. <laughs> now, for example, yeah. a crowd that welcomed his candidacy yeah. had been paid off. 
he paid people to come there and do this. Okay, which was unscrupulous, but not. You're talking about when he first announced. Yes, when he first announced. I did not know that. He, I, I did not read that. He yeah, paid people yeah, to show up. Yeah, that's I like think it was fifty bucks each or something. Who? Like that. Where did he find? Who were these people? Do you know? Michael Cohen probably got them for. Okay, I, Cohen. You know, I don't know for sure. I mean, I didn't see that in the article. Yeah. But I saw that he had paid off the audience. Okay. And it wasn't very large. Mm -hmm. You know, it was because he's cheap. <laughs> okay. He didn't need that big an audience. He's cheap and crazy. By the way, just be, in the middle of this, I got to tell you that we have a history of that here in, uh, in Chicago. Mayor Rahm, uh, his political uh, backers were paying protesters, I don't know if you know this, to come to meetings to endorse Mayor Rahm's school closing policies. This is in 2012. So we have a bit of a history of that uh, in Chicago. We're pretty real crazy here in Chicago yeah, as well. well. But anyway, go back to your recitation. Okay, so, but the thing is, Trump was doing all these things. He was barefaced lying mm -hmm. day in and day out. And what the responsible reporters were doing at that time mm -hmm. was um, giving both sides to keep this fairness, this balance that they're now criticizing you for not doing. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so what, yeah. what, what they would do, what they would do is, you yeah. know, Trump would say, uh, this is not quite right, but as an example. Are you going to give a Trump, Trump imitation? Yeah, right, no. <laughs> Are you going to curse? Yeah, right, exactly, right. Trump would say, the sun rises in the West. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite <laughs> right, line. Exactly, yeah. right. And they would go, well, um, Donald Trump says the sun rises in the West, but um, most experts say the sun rises in the east yeah. and, and this was their way of being fair no i know and then they'll quote an expert yes. they'll quote uh scientists right. from uh johns hopkins uh yes right. Right. our research has shown that the sun definitely rises uh in the east and then they'll you're right then they'll quote some deranged right. guy who, who supports who trump just finished token on a joint because <laughs> no no there's a bias there i right. saw it right. it's you know right. exactly. they'll relate it to some uh fbi agent right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's uh, got to right. be fair. Right. Yeah. Or according to ancient scientists, um, the earth, the sun um, um, circulates around the earth. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Uh, the older you get. <laughs> yes. And the more you see evidence of this game that's being played where Donald Trump is successfully. So I don't think he's he's crazy like a fox, maybe is always effectively moving the conversation to the right, lowering the stakes that uh, which is uh, for acceptable behavior that he could be judged against. Yeah. Uh, and then when you see mainstream journalists sort of going along, we're struggling with looking the benefit of the doubt. They're struggling. With well, it. no, they have now they've gotten to the point. It, it's changed from when he was a candidate and they were doing this. Um, Phony um, equivalence. Yeah, phony equivalency. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they've moved from that. Now they just go, well, the president said the uh, sun rises in the West, but um, most experts <laughs> say that it rises in, in, in the East. So we think that he was being a little fast. No, no, they'll the usually fact. say, that, but there's no factual substance for that. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's how they deal with it. Like when Trump says something for which there is no fact, or like when he just completely, what, the, the, like, and it's little stuff too, uh, Monroe. Uh, the what's the lady's name? Megan, the logical liar. Yeah. Okay, but okay, go ahead. Megan, the 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 who married Prince Harry. Yeah. Uh, where he called her a nasty woman, and yeah, then he right. got mad at the 
the press for saying he called her a nasty right. woman, even though he's quoted. Well, to be fair to Trump, yeah, okay, which I rarely yeah. do. Yeah. He didn't say she was a nasty woman. What he just say? said she was nasty. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. So the part of the sentence that was in quotes was the nasty part. Yeah, right. And it, it was in reference yeah. to her because she didn't. She said something that he didn't like. Yeah. So I'm. I'm uh, okay, but but this is a better example okay, of, of how he lies. Um, he has been saying he he's been in London, and he's been saying that the crowd out there he didn't see any protesters. Mm. He saw this crowd of people who were cheering him on, and if there were protesters, it was only a small um, number. And it was so obvious that there's seventy five thousand people out there with placards and what have you, and you had the baby balloon, baby Trump balloon floating, mm. and you had another anti Trump. Um, meme, moving meme on the streets. You, you know, for him to tell that lie when it's obvious, again, you know, the sun, their, their sun comes up in the east, mm -hmm. and he's saying it's, it's coming from the west. Yeah. And, and, you know, you watch it, it come up. This is why people literally are questioning his mentality, his saneness. Because the stuff he says and does is absolutely, positively nuts. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not disagreeing with you in any way. Uh, I feel as though, uh, but the only nuanced uh, point I would raise is that I'm not sure if it's the behavior of a person who's certifiably insane and doesn't know what he's doing and is just acting crazy yeah. Yeah. or if as i said he's crazy like a fox and it's intended so when he says there was no protest um you know that i i don't even know what purpose that serves at the moment other than it puts reporters on the defensive so they're constantly they're constantly being forced to serve. well he also has um the trump nuts out there who just believe anything he, he says? Anything he says. All because right. If he says it and if he repeats it, then it must be. All right. True. So let's talk about the consequence. Yeah, uh, because uh, one of my okay, one of my Trump nuts. Mm -hmm. Just just for an okay, example. yeah, you deal with them a yeah, lot. Right. Exactly. It, the, today argued that those people who were out there, okay, protesting against yeah. Trump, were all communists. You know, to which I respond to him on Facebook. Said, "Were you in London?" Did you have a chance to perhaps um, interview all 75,000 yeah. people to make sure that they were communists? Yeah. How are you coming up with this? Yeah. What a weird thing to just bring up communism. Trump is the one who's always embracing the the uh, the, the despot who runs North well, Korea. See, okay. okay well, he, he likes some right, communists. Right. Well, see, this is the other well-kept secret, that the people that avidly support Trump are crazy, too. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a lot of them in this country. All right, the political consequences of Trump's behavior. Again, I've been talking a lot today about. I was up all night reading this uh, article on Beto O'Rourke uh, in the New York Times. Uh, excuse me, in the New Yorker. And one of the things they point out is that Beto O'Rourke uh, cannot draw as many people to his big rallies as Trump does because Trump's behavior is so outrageous. People go to see the outrageous behavior. There's some. Oh, it's yeah. a form of entertainment. No, it's a. It's 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 reality TV. On, on display, where you too can go watch the show. So should Democrats uh, sink to that level? Should no. they start doing yeah. reality TV? Because the, the reality is that the size of your crowd, I know Trump likes to do sizes. Yeah, he's got that on his right. mind. But the size of your crowd does not 
translate into how many votes you're going to get. You know, the people who are going to That's see true. him are the same, you know. <clears throat> That's a valid I mean, point. It, it would be like Beyonce. You know, I mean, she has incredible crowds yeah. at her concerts. Could but she if, win if president, she ran for yeah. president, she wouldn't get The local version of that is signs. When when I came to Chicago way back in the dinosaur era, uh, people would tell me it's real important to take a look at campaign signs on lawns because that's a gives yeah. you an idea of how popular someone is, how well organized this campaign campaign is. And then I, over years, I realized there's not sometimes there's not a direct correlation. Sometimes it's just that the local alderman uh, twisted a lot of arms, right. uh, you know. And sometimes and, and, people and, put and, signs on it. We're going to vote for the other guy anyway. And, and sometimes the signs of the opposition were taken down yeah some well that many times um but uh so anyway i uh, i i agree with you i think that well unless it suits you and i don't think there's any democrat running right now in which a reality tv show appearance suits them i'm just running through no, the 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 theory prevailing theory right now is that whoever runs against trump should and will be opposite Trump. Uh, whoever runs against Trump is going to be intelligent. They're going to be no drama. They're going to be opposite. They're going to be truthful and candid. They're going to be opposite of Trump because even the a lot of the Republicans are tiring of yeah. Trump. Well, I don't, uh, let's Twitter, get to that. His you Twitter said the, feed is down. All right. Even. All right. Is that right? right? Yes. Yes. You know, not... I mean, it's still a lot of them, but no, it's down. It's, it's, a, it's not doing as well as it used to. All right. Now, uh, speaking of Republicans and their attitude toward Trump, uh, the trade war that Trump has ignited uh, with China, and now he wants to ignite one with Mexico. Uh, he had a mini one with Canada a while. He's, it, it, most folks in this country really don't understand. The, I have trouble understanding the uh, underlying issues here with these tariff wars, uh, whether how much in our, they're in our best oh, interest. Okay. This, this is all you need to understand. A, Trump is crazy. <laughs> B, Trump is incompetent. Okay, and C, end the story. <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, okay, wait, wait, wait. No, no, seriously, no, no, okay. A tariff is a tax. Yes, indeed. I understand that. Yeah. And Trump, he's transactional. Yeah. So he looks at the world on there's a winner and a loser. Mm -hmm. And so if... We charge if, if if they're making this much money off of us on that, mm -hmm. then we need to get that money back some kind of way. Yeah, and so I mean it. It makes no sense. All the uh, any any informed economist says this is not. Right, but I on a political level, the way I view it is it fits into all his narratives that he's been espousing since he walked down those stairs to run, announce he was running for office, as you just alluded to. Yeah. And that is, it's us against them. It's us against the right. world. And so you fire up people with an enemy right. that you, and you magnify that enemy and distort that enemy and say it's having a real consequence on your life and you should join me in my fight against that enemy and folks fall in line. Right. And so that to me is like the, the general the political strategy. The losers do. I mean, that, that's... A, well, yeah. will the Republican Party, in your humble opinion, fall in line with Donald Trump on his trade policy? No. It's, and particularly Mexico. Because that's... If Trump goes through with this Mexican tariff, mm -hmm. which he swears he's going to do, and he may, you know, although some people are... 
theorizing that this is a bluff because this is how he does does business in general. But if he follows through on that, it's going to hurt Texans. It's going to it's going to hurt the states that have supported him. His 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 tariff war with China is already hurting Midwest farmers. Yeah, and then he's willing to spend sixteen billion. Or says he's going to. The the states I saw that'll hurt the most. I saw this in an article on this: were Texas, Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, and California. That's doing this off the top of my head. Now he couldn't care less about Illinois and California. They're blue states, so everybody can go bankrupt there as far as he's concerned. Right. But about Michigan, Ohio are swing states, and the Democrats really are hoping they can someday take Texas. They came close with yeah, the Beto O'Rourke race. Exactly, exactly. No, and well, and and the reason those particular states are going to be hurt is because of the automobiles. Because the way the auto inter- industry works now mm-hmm. is um, we shipped a lot of of parts makers to Mexico for the cheaper labor. And so you take the car, you make it in Detroit, with some of it, then you ship it to uh, Mexico, mm-hmm. and they add all these parts that you need to make it a functioning car. Then you bring it back. Mm-hmm. Okay, because those parts are being made in Mexico, now the tariff will hit on it, the tax will hit, which is gonna raise the prices of cars, push down automobile sales, and everybody loses. And so, so you think that he's going to back off? I know. Uh, I noticed that. I, I, uh, he, don't, it, I don't know if he is because he's crazy. He is crazy. But the but tweet, the, the Republicans are telling him that you got to back off because it will hurt their reelection chances next year. Yeah, and it will screw up the economy. And the only thing Trump has going for him is Obama's economy. <laughs> you always give Obama. I, I, I'm reluctant to give anybody, any president, too much credit for any uh, uh, any you of these. You have to give him some because who what Obama? You, what you, yeah, Obama. Because when he inherited yeah. the office, mm-hmm. we were losing nine hundred thousand jobs a month. Yeah, we were on the verge of a great recession. Yes. He inherited a terrible economy exactly. as opposed and to... he turned it around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, um, with his policy. All right. By, I, he wasn't I, Superman. I, I am uh, not going to uh, go into an argument about uh, Barack Obama's impact on uh, on the economy. I do know in, 20, in 29 when he, uh, t- 2009, when he took office, I had a feeling... God, it's so many years ago, Monroe. I had a feeling that the yeah. country was in the hands of a thoughtful person right. who was being analytical right. and was uh, trying to find a middle ground that Republicans and Democrats could agree on. Right. It. He was constantly pushing his policies toward the center, right from the from okay. his base. And, 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 Complete and, opposite of what Donald Trump does. Right, and Joe as, as Joe Biden had this great line when he spoke at a rally. I think it was a week ago or so, mm-hmm. where he said that. Um, as w- with the economy, Obama economy, um, Donald Trump inherited a, a good economy, and he's on the verge of um, losing it as he as he's done with his father's fortune and everything else. Yeah, no, it's uh, well, he, I, we, I, you know, I'm got to see those tax uh, his tax statements to know exactly how much of that father fortune uh, he lost, and that's a perfect segue into our next guest, Jim Coogan uh, from Dwyer and Coogan. It's been a while uh, since he's been on our show. I think it's been over a month because he's been very busy with his court case. Uh, we're going to take the deep dive on all the Trump legal awesome. issues. 
I have in front of me today's New York Times story. Talks over access to report may be back on. There is a fight a brewing which could ultimately, over subpoena power of Congress, a fight brewing which could ultimately lead uh, to the impeachment of Donald Trump. I don't know how the, the Democrats can continue to look the other way uh, to the, the White House refusing to abide by a subpoena. So we're going to bring Jim Coogan on. Keep Monroe here. We'll be right back after this. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicola Fayette. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. All right, everybody. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky Show for Wednesday, June 5th is moments away. We got Monroe Anderson in studio. We got Ace Attorney Jim Coogan in studio. Yeah, Ben Jarofsky's still here, too. Uh, let's see here. You're, uh, the Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A big thank you to those unions for jumping on board and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. And of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Wednesday, June 5th and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue. This is the Ben Jarofsky show. this hour of the program we still got monroe anderson in studio we welcome back ace attorney jim coogan of dwyer and coogan and we welcome seventh congressional district candidate kena collins and now your host chicago reader columnist Benny J. Benjarovsky. Yes, indeed. Monroe Anderson is still in the studio. Jim Coogan has joined us. We're going to continue the Trump, 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 Trump talk, getting some of the legal issues uh, with Jim Coogan that uh, Donald Trump is facing as he, uh, well, there's a showdown over congressional subpoena powers. But before we get to that, what you got for me, D? Well, we have a Trump, Trump, Trump update. Oh, okay. Coming up soon. But first, everybody find us on social media. If you're listening right now and you've yet to do that, boy, you're making a huge mistake. Benny J Show, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter. J show Ben spelled that last name for him 
J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Look it up, find us, uh, give us a like, follow, share, review, tell us uh, you don't like us, whatever you want to do, it's fine. <laughs> Just go ahead and click like, and uh, we are on our way to 2,000 likes. Once we hit uh, 2,000, we'll have our next caption contest, by the way. So head over there, at Benny J Show on Facebook, at Benny J Show on Twitter. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram, right? Yes, sir. We're on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't posted in a while. Yeah, but, uh, ben, Ben's in charge of the Instagram account, guys. So uh, if you've got any questions, oh, like that one about him eating wings or something uh, like that from uh, a couple months back, was yeah. that one? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of me eating chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Go check that out. You're missing chicken that. chicken tonight, by the way. As oh, I really? The game. Yeah. Boy, who would have thought that one? Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Love chicken. chicken. Man. <laughs> All right, so now to this Trump, Trump, Trump update. And the following does not come from Breitbart, okay, guys? Okay, all right. Just throwing that out there, okay? <laughs> this comes from CNN. Okay. They, they love conducting polls these days. All Once right. again, this is from uh, SSRS. A majority of... Monroe, get ready, buddy. All right, that's all I'm going to say about this story coming up. A majority of Americans say that they think Donald Trump is going to win a second term. According to a CNN poll conducted by SSRS, even as the president's reviews on issues other than uh, the economy remain largely negative, the new poll finds 54% say their best guess is that Trump will win the 2020 election. 41% feel he will lose. Americans are slightly more apt to say Trump will win now that they were to say uh, Barack Obama would win in a second term in May 2011. In a survey conducted just after the death of Osama bin Laden, 50% thought Obama would win in that poll. The new numbers on Trump are a reversal from December when a narrow majority of 51% said they thought Trump would lose his bid for re-election. Once again, not from Breitbart, from CNN. <laughs> well, that's an interesting little poll there. Before we go to uh, Jim, what do you think about that, Monroe? I think that it's a result of the House Republicans being so wimpy. Yeah, he's being Trump is being tough. He's mm-hmm. not giving them any. He's t- ignoring. He's breaking the law all over the place and yeah. violating the Constitution. He, he's not letting his people um, testify. He's not. He's not. He's having them ignore subpoenas. Mm-hmm. And so he looks like the strong man. Yeah. And there's this, this quote in 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 politics: "I'm better um, strong and wrong than weak and right." Mm-hmm. And the Democrats are being weak but right, and therefore, the majority of people now believe that Trump is going to win All right, because well, he's, tr- he's, he's, he's treating them like um, they're the 90-pound weakling. Yeah, well, what I don't know, uh, and I'll have to think about this and read about this, is whether a poll in which people are asked who they think win, uh, will win is actually a way of surveying whether people are going to vote for somebody. Uh, so here in the city of Chicago, where I have most of my experience following politics, uh, there's a strong notion the Chicagoans have. They want to vote for the winner. Uh, and and it's, it's almost as even if the winner advocates positions they disagree with, even if the winner has raised their taxes, even if the winner has done things that they strongly disapprove of, they want to vote with the winner. So what I don't know is whether a poll like that, Jim Coogan, what's your thoughts on this, whether a poll like that indicates that people are actually supporting Donald Trump. Well, I, I think that it doesn't indicate that, but uh, especially to echo what Monroe's take on it was, the perception that he's somehow weathering all this stuff, it's not like the last six months have gone well. If they, that was compared to 
a change from December of yeah. 2018. It's not like it's gone well, but if people's perception is, boy, he just gets away with everything, then they could be voting in terms of their interpretation of the inevitability that it's the case. Um, I don't know. I, I, it is interesting to tie it back to May of 2011. I think in my head I was thinking, who really cares? There's not even a, a Democratic frontrunner necessarily yet. But um, I guess it could mean something. I don't know if they've got May of whatever, 2009 or whatever, the, you know, 2007, exactly. whoever the yeah. last time it would have been. But there, A year out. This certainly speaks to the general issue that you have is that incumbency is a strong thing in terms of a lot of pro presidents tend to get second terms unless they really screw something up or have a terrible economy in the mm -hmm. eight months before the election. I mean, so it, it's a very powerful force, not for every office. Incumbency doesn't win you every office, but with the, the, the United States president has so much power, uh, particularly in the media, mm -hmm. yeah. that just being in that office means you're in the news yeah, every day. Right. You can use your entire media operation, which of course in this case also includes a propaganda television station um, to shape the narrative in every news cycle, and they're going to do it. Yeah. So these are, I guess, it's, if nothing else, it, it highlights some of the challenges that a Democratic challenger is up against next year. All right, and it may uh, wake Democrats up, too. That Donald, could be uh, Donald Trump's going to uh, want to weigh in here. Hold on. No collusion. <laughs> I think something had better wake them up. I mean, whatever, if they're waiting for something else, yeah. wake up. Wake up. All right, Jim Coogan, before we uh, take the deep dive on the subpoena showdown, uh, tell folks about your recent court case and uh, why it's been a while since you've been on our show. Uh, well, thanks, Ben, for the opportunity. Uh, so my, my partner, Carol Ann Gallagher, and I had the distinct honor to represent a woman who lost her mother about five years ago. So what we do is we're injury attorneys, and some of our cases involve uh, accusations that medical care was inadequate. So in this case, it had to do with a woman who, had her, our client's mother, had some long-standing heart and lung issues, but uh, in 2014, she went to go to the clinic at the University of Chicago to diagnose what was going on, maybe see if there's anything else somebody could do for her. Our allegation was that one of the tests that they did that they shouldn't have done, uh, it led to a complication in one of the arteries inside of her lower body. And when she got discharged after a few days of trying to sort of deal with the problem, uh, the next morning she crashed. Uh, got taken to a different facility and ultimately didn't survive uh, a day later. So um, fortunately, uh, we were able to put on a good case. Our, our client is, is just a wonderful woman and shouldn't have lost her mom when she did. I mean, her mom wasn't in perfect health, but... Uh, How old was her mother? 61. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, given her challenges, she probably didn't have your, your average 61-year-old's life expectancy, but at the same time, she was a all the accounts I ever heard was a, a pretty vital and, uh, and and pretty cool lady. So um, that was the case we put on, and we, we managed to get a verdict for our client. So we're uh, we're happy about it. It's mm -hmm. it's it's, yeah, a, it's quite a feeling to know that that really means something. You know, it's kind of a vindication of all the things that she's been through since she lost her mind. Yeah. All right. Very good. Jim Coogan's been pretty busy. Uh, so now we're going to put you back to work here for our show. And uh, let's talk about the, the subpoena showdown. Monroe and I were uh, on the fringes of it. Uh, there was a story in today's New York Times, which is pretty much a compilation of what's been going on for the last uh, couple of weeks. But uh, essentially, Jerry Nadler, uh, who is a, the uh, Judiciary Committee chair uh, in the House, uh, is, is had it, he says, with the White House. He says they're stonewalling him on his request to get testimony and documents from former White House officials that are essentially uh, are necessary, he says, to uh, discover, uh, to find out how much obstruction of justice 
uh, Donald Trump was committing uh, in, what, 2017 uh, as the investigation into his uh, alleged collusion. I'll put that word alleged in there, Monroe, uh, with the Russians was going on. (laughs) Good journalism. Throw that word alleged in there. Uh, So talk a little bit about the issues uh, at stake here. Well, you know, the issue that's at stake is even the 450-page report from the special counsel's office, one of the takeaways and one of the ways that that has been very dishonestly spun by the White House Mm -hmm. is that the first half of it, the part that was investigating how much cooperation that they had with Russian intelligence agencies, the Russian government and Russian uh, uh, military forces, because all those things are commingled and they're all involved in these different psychological operations, trying to manipulate things all around the globe, not just the United States elections. Um, the the first half of it, the conclusion ends up being, well, there was some evidence of a lot of cooperation and a lot of co- contacts, but not enough to necessarily show that there was actually a legal conspiracy. Mm-hmm. That doesn't tell the whole story when the second half of it is looking into how much did they stop investigators from finding out what was happening. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the whole point yeah. of having an a, a obstruction of justice investigation. If you hide the evidence, right. if you destroy and, documents, yeah, you destroy exactly. electronic documents with witnesses wouldn't right. show up. I mean, so you sure. can't. Yeah. That, I mean, and that's what I think that there's there hasn't. I'm very disappointed, and I maybe on this has been said by a lot of other people. I assume by the just the acceptance of that narrative by the media writ large that well you know there's these two things and they're just they're just sort of two halves of an investigation no they're intricately linked their whole purpose of going the next step is is a reflection of the fact that Robert Mueller and his whole team are very experienced prosecutors and and being a prosecutor means you're an investigator mm-hmm. you lead investigations you keep on you turn over all the stones to see what's on the other side and what's buried under there and they know that one of the problems they run into, particularly with white-collar corruption investigations, is the people, especially if those people are still in power when it happens, they're going to do everything they can to cover those things up. And they've got a lot more power to do it than your average Joe. A lot more power to do it than, you know, like a mayor or a mob boss or somebody like that where you're doing some other kind of RICO or, or investigation. So the fact that they could only find some things could mean that there isn't any other evidence or it could mean there's a lot more evidence and it just wasn't part of the scope of this investigation or it was successfully hidden all right so the white house uh counters that by arguing what well there I mean, the <laughs> no argument is, well you heard it you heard it from the president yeah. how many times has he said it in the no last collusion. month i'm the most trans- yeah. he even does this little psychological manipulative thing with media gatherings and you know press sprays where mm-hmm. he says well you guys all know this I'm the most, you know, transparent president oh in the history God, of the yeah, country. Yeah. As if now they're like in on the thing, and and you know the cameras don't turn around to watch them all shaking their heads. <laughs> no, we know we know a that's not true, and b you're the least transparent yeah. president in the history of the United States. Yeah. Except maybe James Buchanan. Or something. I mean, I, well, he's the best liar, though. Well, uh, he's certainly the most committed to it. Yeah. Right? Which is part of the, you know I heard you guys on the way over here about you know talking about whether this is his demonstrable lies about crowd sizes or the number of people who are who are protesting him is it a product of his actual mental capacity yeah. problems is it a problem of his or is it a product of him being so committed to lies is he the perfect vessel for the big lie i don't know if we know the answer 
but it doesn't matter because yeah. the fact that he's willing to do those things is enough to disqualify him from being in any powerful position. That's why this is so dangerous. Yeah, yeah. but it's working for him, and that's what's really well. That's scary. that. Okay, that gets back <laughs> to that gets back to that fifty-four percent poll that Dennis led with. Right. Uh, that says fifty-four percent of Americans believe he's going to win re-election. Okay, so at the very least, that says that Americans, for whatever how much they know about this subpoena fight don't think it's going to play a big role in the uh, election. So if that's the general sense now, uh, Jim Coogan, explain why it's in the best interest of America that the Democrats in House pursue this subpoena fight. If House Democrats actually believe in their hearts that they, that number one, the president is dangerous and unqualified, number two, that they have a commitment to the Constitution to do their jobs, then they don't have a choice but to find the political courage to step forward and say, listen, we'll call them impeachment investigations. We actually don't care. It's not about the, the name that you use, but they are, the, they are the last entity. Now that the special counsel's investigation is wrapped up, they are the last remaining entity with any power in this country to actually effectuate the next step of any of this investigation, which means bringing in witnesses who are unwilling or only incompletely cooperated with the special counsel's investigation, which means in this particular case, you know, one of the highlights of this week was the communications person, Hope Hicks, mm-hmm. who's been around the president since long before he became president. Yeah. Uh, she has turned over or will turn over some things, but she categorically said nothing about the transition and nothing about her time in the White House. Mm-hmm. That, again, highlights the things that they are going to have to force open now, but it ain't easy because contempt is the only way to try to enforce a subpoena that a party won't respond to, and their contempt options are limited. I think we might have got into this the last time I was here just a little bit. Um, you know, there's one, like, wild card in all this. They, you probably have talked about it a little bit, inherent contempt. I've heard different Congress people have actually talked about it. Um, it's one of the, it, it hasn't really been used much ever, like not just in a long time, but not really ever in American history. But they have their own sergeant in arms. They have their own person who physically could arrest somebody. It's just complicated and strange and hasn't been used very often because generally speaking, other administrations played by the rules. Okay, Jim, but if, if they take it to, through the courts, the regular court system, and a federal judge says you have to do it, and they don't do it, then... When you say do it, mean release information or a com- uh, compel a witness yes, to testify. Yes, Go ahead. Yes, mm-hmm. to meet the, the demands of the subpoena. Mm-hmm. Then they, they can't ignore the court, so we really do have a constitutional uh, conflict at that point, correct? Absolutely. That, that would highlight one of the places where you run into, this is an actual uh, crisis, but... Separate from, you know, for example, similar to following up on a Russian interference investigation with an investigation into how much obstruction of justice there was, if all of the subpoenas are thwarted, if the if carte blanche, the White House refuses to comply with anything and won't even let civilians who no longer work for him, like Don McGahn, testify, then you must impeach people. That is that is something that right. they, they don't need additional information for that. I mean, just the obstruction itself can be an element of impeachment. And that that's why I, I think last time I was here, I told you the one prediction I was going to give you was Bill Barr should, would be, or I kind of think should be impeached. Yes. Because if he won't comply with legal subpoenas right. within his own government, mm-hmm. that's a dereliction of the responsibilities of the attorney general. Right. There's no other honest way to interpret that. Okay, right. but let's go to a worst case scenario. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> 
the courts say do it, and they still refuse. Mm-hmm. Um, no witnesses come forth for the impeachment. Right. Then where are we? Well, th- th- they can still they can take whatever evidence they have. Whether there's additional witnesses that actually appear in those those hearings, those yeah. impeachment hearings, right. they can still take their vote. I mean, Congress. They oh, being Congress. You know, yeah, yeah, when you yeah, say they, you mean House Congress. Democrats. The House Democrats. can set forth articles of impeachment and actually, you know, indict the president or Bill Barr or whoever, as long yeah. as they have a majority vote. That's impeachment. Okay, yeah. but okay, let's go to part two. You have to. You're supposed to have a trial. That's now, right. If the Republicans continue where they are, and so nobody comes forth to testify at the trial, they ignore the trial. Yeah, right. They ignore, they ignore subpoenas to come to testify at then, a trial. That, <laughs> this is a worst case scenario. A congressional but, impeachment. Right, if you're exactly. going to defy Congress, right, This right. is just taking. Monroe's right. They're taking it. He's taking it to the nth degree. They're defying a subpoena. I don't know anybody in this room who could defy a subpoena without going to jail. Right. Uh, of course they would continue to defy it. I, yeah, you're right. And that is, I think that w- is what would happen. Yeah. But I also still think, number one, so this is kind of like that political question about the failed impeachment theory. Do yeah. you do it knowing that uh, you'll never get 67 votes in this Senate to convict either Barr or the president and actually uh, meet out a sentence of you're being removed from office? I don't think, now, if, if there's two sides to that. Number one, people say, well, will that animate the president's base? Will that animate Republicans to come out and vote in defense of him in 2020? I don't know what could possibly animate them more than everything exactly. that they get bombarded but with every single already, day. Yeah. So I don't see that as much of a political risk as, I think the other side is much more serious. If this group of Democrats that have taken the speaker's gavel in 2018 and has an, an opportunity to to do something to defend the Constitution right now fails to do it, I think they're going to have a serious problem in 2020 getting their people out. Right. What, no, people what, are going to be so disappointed. What, yeah. what do you have to go vote for? How, right. how do you, like, you, you right. clearly. I agree 100%. Like, people yeah. said in those exit polls on, in November of 2018, healthcare was like their number one concern. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. In the meantime, we have staved off making more of mincemeat of the Affordable Care Act. So mm-hmm. that's already been, you know, that's happened. Plus, there's no opportunity to pass any more health care bills anyway. Yeah. So, okay, so that's your, there's your number one issue. If they don't stand up for the other part of it, which is having some kind of a check on the president, then yeah. that will be a failure. Right? Yeah. I think that all the rest of this stuff surrounding Nancy Pelosi and how Nadler and how some of the other leadership keeps sort of hemming and hawing and sort of hedging around the question of impeachment, I think it's a dance that they're doing because they know it's inevitable. And they're trying to build it up so that it looks like that they that they only did it because it is absolutely because they have yeah. to do it. Well, our, our yeah, but yeah, but, but okay. One one thing with that though is their argument that they want to f- focus on the issues that matter to people. That when they're out there campaigning, nobody's asking about subpoenas or Mueller report or anything. Um, the the things that the American people want are not going to come to fruition right. because Mitch, Mitch McConnell's not going to let it on the floor. Right. So this is silly as far right, as you're right. Say. I mean, that's that's the response to that is, hey, uh, why, not the, why aren't you stop wasting your time on, on obsessing about the president? We want bread and butter issues. Well, hey, listen, none of those things are passing with this. Right. Senate. None of those passing right. things. Yeah. Mitch McConnell, he has explicitly said he is the grim reaper. He will kill 
any responsible, decent reform bills, anything about uh, improving access to voting or improving healthcare access. Right. Yeah. So you, that is the that's where they should lead with is right. hey we we've passed they've passed whatever uh, one, 20, one, 20 good good hearted bills in the last six yeah. months. Well, um, it might be one hundred. Then, like then it's I, even I, more I than that. Yeah, yeah. one hundred bills. Uh, by the way, our our next guest that's coming after is Keena Collins is running for Congress in the seventh congressional district here in Chicago. So it'll be interesting to ask her uh, whether this is an important issue. The subpoena subpoena fight is an important issue that Congress candidate, congressional candidates will be running on. Uh, I share. Uh, your concern, Jim and Monroe, uh, you've articulated this point uh, very clearly that uh, <laughs> Trump has just basically given a big middle finger to Congress and he is betting, his political strategists are betting that the American people won't care, mm -hmm. that the American people will say, we don't think this uh, investigation is worth the time that we're spending on it the money we're spending on it, the effort we're spending on it. So we don't care ultimately if Donald Trump defies the subpoena of the federal, uh, of the of the Democrats in Congress, which would be a pretty astounding statement by the populace of the United States if that's the way they view things at this uh, stage, right. that then Donald Trump well, would have been successful. And this will be 1933 Germany. Yeah, I'm I, serious. I mean, it's it's the only thing I would say about that, Ben, is that it's not just giving the middle finger to Democrats in the House. It's a middle finger to the entire United States Constitution. I mean, that's exactly what right. we're talking about here, and and they have to keep framing it that way to the extent that it's possible. Um, before we started talking, we were mentioning some of the people who do this on other you know outlets on the news all the time. I, th that is being done to an extent, but it can't. That, that has to be part of every single message about why they're doing what they're doing. The Constitution has a process. The Constitution is a system that if people won't act in good faith, it will break. And the president, as one of the main three branches of government, is too powerful to act like this without jeopardizing breaking the entire thing. Yeah. And for that, that is the kind of a crime that you must be held accountable for. Otherwise, there is no Constitution. And that's what they're giving the middle Well, it would be interesting to see how ultimately this would come down to the Supreme Court. Oh, if if the Democrats pursue this issue of trying to get the, the the White House to abide to comply with their subpoenas, ultimately, don't you agree it'll come down to the Supreme Court? Well, the court the the court enforcement of contempt could be difficult, and I think may may or may not work because they'd have to get to the Supreme Court, which I think is going to. There's a time constraint there, how long it takes to get to that far. But that's why I mentioned this inherent contempt thing, which is a weird kind of wild card. I admit. But the reason why it's been dug up out of the history books lately is because they don't have to wait for a Article Three federal court to actually find someone in contempt to go arrest them. In theory, if they issue a contempt order, they could arrest them themselves. Now, it has to do with whether Congress is in session. There's a lot of other complications right. that go into doing it. But right. And there are, there are other players, fortunately. Um, well, first of all, what, when Mueller is subpoenaed, he will show up because he's a good soldier. So he will show up, and while during his his last appearance, first and last appearance, where he said he'd only say what was in the report, yeah. when they ask him other questions, uh, he may, there, there's a possibility that he will answer those and not just recite the Mueller report. Yeah, take the fifth. Yeah, and also you have, <laughs> oh, you have Trump's finances in the courts. 
and in and those will pop sooner or later. Right. And once that pops, oh, that's another subpoena yeah. fight that we right. could have. Well, yeah. And other other entities are having more success. Right. Deutsche Bank is turning things over. Right? Yeah. The state of New York is acquiring documents. So right. part of the part of the inevitability of Donald Trump has always been premised upon people not realizing how much of a fraud he really is. Right. Yeah. Right. That dam may be breaking, and there's no time like the present because. There, sh there has to be some reality to this TV at some point. All right, now I have to, uh, you've, you've re referenced to inherent contempt several times today, and you said you talked about it the last time in this show. Just explain to people what inherent contempt is. It's independent of the court system. Normally you get a subpoena, you have to comply by it, if you, or comply with it. If you don't, a judge will issue a warrant for your arrest and say that you're in contempt of court. Mm -hmm. The sheriff can go pick you up and bring you into court and answer the question or turn over the documents or whatever. Congress has, as it's been developed over the years within their powers, their own contempt power. It's been determined that because they have the ability to legislate and the ability to investigate, they can call witnesses and without asking a judge to make any determinations, issue their own writ of contempt and say, Joe over there, Don McGahn is in contempt. We, you must appear here. Now, if he evades the, the jurisdiction of D.C. and stays out of D.C. and the sergeant at arms can't find him, it is more complicated than the federal marshals tracking somebody yeah. down because they've got an entire federal marshal apparatus. Wow. But it's not illegal. It's a real thing. It does and, exist. And they have sales. In, in, I, I have a hard time. That's just so wild. I just have a hard time uh, believing it'll come to that. But you know what? We could be here six months from they now. They did it once a long time ago yeah. with an IRS commissioner, like in the 19 teens or something like that. The guy was uh, yeah. held up in a fancy, I think it was the Willard Hotel. Yeah. I don't know if that has to do with the Willard, Willard Hotel. Or, but that's where they actually housed somebody because he refused to show up to talk about something to do with the tax code. I don't know what the, the back. All right. Well, if we're talking, I mean, that'd be pretty wild if it came down to uh, a congressional marshals uh, coming down, trying to attract down Hope Hicks. We're in wild times. Uh, we are wild times. All right. Now, uh, we had a conversation briefly uh, off air about the games that William Barr, our attorney general, uh, has been playing uh, in this investigation. And uh, you sent me a clip from a TV show interview that uh, I found fascinating. Uh, explain to our listeners listeners exactly uh, the little uh, s uh, new song uh, that uh, William Barr is singing and the significance of his change. Well, Barr has a tremendous capacity for making whatever he's saying sound boring and as if it's just simple routine. Um, and he's, he's good at it. It's, it's probably a practiced skill or it's just how he's always talked. I don't know. But um, there, there was a recent comparison of the, so the, one of the key concepts here that they have used to try to create a good talking point for the president is, oh, no, 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 no. Robert Mueller had the capacity to decide and make a determination of whether the president had committed crimes, including obstruction of justice. Mm -hmm. The fact that he didn't means that he couldn't, not that he was constrained by department policy. Yes. The, the, the stated policy of the Department of Justice is because of the inherent powers of the president that you cannot indict them. And, they also be, and that's also built on the idea that they know as prosecutors they have tremendous power. They can't just say somebody's guilty of something if that person has no ability to prove that they're innocent or has no due process available mm -hmm. to them. And because of the president's position, they wouldn't be able to be indicted so they can't have a trial. So it's not fair to, to call him out and say that he did something wrong. However, mm -hmm. that is not what Mr. Barr said at his confirmation hearing where he admitted that the Department of Justice has this policy and that it, it is not fair to make a determination about somebody, specifically the somebody who is the president, when you can't 
fill out the rest of this process mm-hmm. and there isn't the rest of due process where they can be de- actually have their day in court and find out whether they're guilty or not so it's subtle and because both things you, you listen to them and you're like did he, was there an inconsistency there there's a lot of blah blah, blah you know kind of mealy mouth sort of stuff surrounding <laughs> yeah. it um yeah it's, it's like in our cases in court it's easier when you have a very strict question and answer to compare two things to show just how inconsistent they are but it's there and he has subtly shifted that out of convenience because he is apparently part of the talking points apparatus yeah. to protect the president. So when he was uh, a nominee he, uh, in his testimony in front of Congress, he says the Justice Department, uh, by policy, cannot indict a sitting president. Uh, and now that he's the head of the Justice Department, he says, well, they could indict one if they want to, but they uh, clearly they must not have the evidence if they didn't indict him because they could indict him if they wanted to, which... In other words, total and complete exoneration, yeah. which it is not. But if you spin it the right way, you can pretend. And, like and you see the frustrating thing about this, Monroe? It's, God, this sounds like my fights with the city of Chicago over their uh, policies down through the years. They sh- if, they, if they say whatever they want at any given time just to justify whatever it is that they're doing, knowing full well that they have the capability of just changing their tune a month later, it's very difficult to land a a solid punch. And if most people aren't paying attention, like people in the city of Chicago generally aren't paying attention. Or or people in America. Or America aren't paying attention. You can get away with anything. Yeah, until it catches up with you. Well, do you think it's going to catch up to William Barr? I don't know where he fits into this scheme, but in the in the present in our present moment, where they have not actually impeached anyone yet, they might determine that the strategy should start with him because the stonewalling, to, specifically from the DOJ, is one of the most substantial elements mm-hmm. of of holding up congressional investigations and making or getting access to meaningful information. It could yeah. be that they just don't waste their time though, because. The 2020 is, to, is around yeah, the corner, yeah. and you may as well just go straight to the top. Uh, of the I, that's kind of how I view it. Right. Yeah, no, don't waste your time yeah, with Barr. Well, see, I was going back and forth on that, yeah. and the, if, the conclusion I've come to is get them both. Okay. I mean, yeah, right. You can do both. both. Right? Yeah, hit a two both. for hey, yeah. two for one. It's like getting pizza and chicken for the price of one. Constitutional fire sale. All right. Before I let you guys go and bring on Keenan Collins, I have to ask you uh, this, Jim Coogan. I've not prepped you in any way for this. This is on my mind. All right. I uh, I think I'm the only person in the world who's read both the Mueller report uh, and the federal indictment of Ed Burke. How about that? Okay. Uh, and I'm obsessed with the federal indictment of Ed Burke here uh, in the city of Chicago. Uh, it tells us so much about how city of Chicago actually works and what uh, aldermen feel they could get away with uh, during the ROM years. Now, here's what I don't understand. Please explain this to me if you can. If you can't, just say, Ben, I don't know the answer to this. The feds were taping, follow me on this, uh, Ed Burke's conversations with Danny Solis, two aldermen, while they were conspiring to figure out a way to squeeze a, a, a developer into hiring Ed Burke's uh, law firm to handle property taxes in exchange for uh, a TIF handout of $18 million, okay? So the city of Chicago is going to give the developer $18 million in TIF handout. What, I'm questionable whether he needed it or deserved it whether it was a, a productive way of spending our money, and in exchange, that developer, to get it, was going to have to hire Burke for his property taxes. All right? Uh, the feds knew about this because they were 
why are they were listening in on Ed Burke's conversations with Danny Solis. All right. Uh, Ed, Danny Solis and uh, Ed Burke went on to vote for giving the developer the money. Essentially, that to me says that is a shakedown, an attempted shakedown of a vendor in the city of Chicago. How could the feds allow a crime to be committed? If you're the federal investigators and you know two aldermen are shaking down a guy who's got just got voted $18 million, right? How do you allow that to happen? What are, are there rules that govern? Do, do the feds have to look the other way to allow the the crime to actually be committed? You know, because well, like in a TV show, you'll like just when the 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 guy is set up about to buy the drugs, all the cops come bursting in. So why didn't they come bursting into the city council chamber with their guns drawn? Hands up, everybody! No more tiff deals. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, where were the feds on this one? You know, I- my, if I were to guess, and you know, the old, we'll never know what the motivations were when they were putting the investigation together. If I were to guess, they may have had concerns about how strong the evidence was at the time, what the words were, like how much it could have been spun as we were just talking in hypotheticals, we're just talking in, you know, this wasn't specific enough. I because I haven't listened to the tapes, I didn't read the indictment. I don't know how specifically they quote these things. You might find out when the trial happens because then they'll hear it. Yeah. There's also the element of, I mean. It's a shakedown, but it's also a shakedown that they're a willing participant in. So who's like they're not the, the sort of vic- they're not a victim who's about to get killed or something like that. So are they are the feds as worried about the contractor in that situation? The pr- I mean the party that's the victim here is the city of Chicago. Yeah, me yeah, the ben, taxpayer. It's ben Jirowski's tax bill. No, I, I I'm not saying that that doesn't have merit. I just I don't know why that wouldn't factor in more predominantly in the immediacy of stopping this thing because conspiracy is conspiracy you don't have to follow through on it to convict somebody of a conspiracy you can stop it in yeah. the meantime just like you just highlighted man what a fantasy i had man the feds bursting into the city council chambers all right hands up alderman all right mayor where's that tiff money oh it's in your pocket take a chill pill man uh, <laughs> okay mayor um anyway jim coogan monroe anderson great conversation as always really appreciate it it's always one of our most popular show when we have you two on talking Trump, 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 and Trump. So thank you very much for coming in. We got Keena Collins sitting on deck from the 7th Congressional District. We're going to ask her all these tough impeachment questions when she comes on. She's ready for it. We'll be right back after this. No collusion. (laughs) Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture. At Chicago Land Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicago Land Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. 
Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And guys, just believe me when I say this. It's badass, okay? Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. Guys, it's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky Show. So, if you're ever in Broadway, between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you. And go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at greenelementresale.com. Head over to Green Element Resale and save on... Money. That's right. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. All right, very good. Uh, Jim Coogan and Monroe Anderson have left the building. Jim Coogan and Monroe Anderson have left the building, but Keena Collins is here. She's running for Congress in the 7th Congressional District on the west side of the city of Chicago. Goes out into the suburbs as well. Oak Park, etc. It actually goes into Englewood. Also in Southside? Yeah, it's a, a long, windy, <laughs> gerrymandered <laughs> district. We'll talk all about that before we get to Keena. D, you got an update for me? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely here. I got a weigh in here with the uh, live stream chat room. They're going crazy here today. Uh, let's see here. Just read some comments from people here. Oh, earlier we mentioned that uh, we did a poll from CNN saying that they think Donald Trump will win 54%, right? Yeah. Uh, Left wing Limbaugh weighed in. He <laughs> said, right. I think Trump will win. Okay. The majority of Dem candidates don't believe in anything. So why would swing voters believe in them? Mm. Wow. All right. Well, left wing wimp boss feeling the Trumpster. Huh? Uh, and uh, finally here, I think uh, now one of the big things, uh, listeners on our live stream mm-hmm. chat, if you've yet to join it, you should, because it's fascinating. One thing that our live stream chat room loves to do is just mess with Ben Jarofsky about how his love for Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> okay, more, more Pelosi than Biden, but whatever. So I think this is where they're going when Stephen asks this question. Ben, what is your definition of a corporate Democrat? Uh, wow, Stephen. Uh, a Democrat who looks, looks out for the interest of corporations over working people. That's what my uh, definition would be. Uh, that's me just thinking it through, Stephen. And uh, we had a, one as our mayor for the last eight years. Mm. Uh, and uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign, unfortunately, sure looked like she was far more concerned with the the interests of the well-to-do. And corporation also serves as sort of like a uh, a metaphor. Uh, you know, in, in sort of a class struggle, if you will, for looking out for the interests of the well-to-do. So, like, when you think of taxation, you don't want to go too far in the direction of progressive taxes because you don't want to upset uh, the well-to-do. You don't want to tax, like, Wall Street uh, right. profits, et cetera. Right. So that, to me, is where we are. At. That's how I would define a corporate Democrat. Okay. All right, buddy. Well, let's hold those feet to the fire because I'm pretty sure this is where Stephen was going with this question. 
is Joe Biden a corporate Democrat? Oh, yeah. Duh. Duh. Uh, yeah. His he's first very fundraiser much, was yeah. with insurance companies. Yeah. And so was Barack <laughs> Obama. All right. Let's be real, Democrats yeah. out there. Uh, so is Rahm Emanuel. You know, so are some of the people that you've been electing time in, time again. So not my fault. You know, I, I most cases, well, I did vote for Barack Obama. It's so funny, Stephen. Don't lie. <laughs> Stephen weighed in in all caps here. He said he literally was Rahm's co-worker in that administration. Ben, yeah. please. Yes, he was. He was. Uh, Rahm uh, worked for Barack Obama, and it was that identification with Barack Obama that, in my humble opinion, uh, convinced many Chicagoans to elect him, to vote for him in 2011. And then when Barack reminded us of that, Keena mm-hmm. Collins, and you were living here in Chicago, yeah. many Chicago voters said, well, yeah, he was with Barack. And I'll give him <laughs> one more chance. And he's wearing the sweater. Yeah. And then guess what happened? Laquan oh, McDonald yeah. video pops out about That's six right. months later. Chicagoans are like, what did we do? That's right. So for all uh, all those downloaders out there, hey, join the Facebook or not the Facebook, but the YouTube live stream and uh, send us a message. Be like Stephen. We uh, do it one to three p.m. Tuesday through Friday. ChicagoReader.com, Chicago.SunTimes.com slash Jarofsky. Check us out, won't you? All right. Very good. Thank you, T. All right. Keena Collins from the 7th Congressional District. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. Very good. And a little bit before we take an issue, uh, I already said I'm going to ask you about uh, impeachment and how much of an yeah. issue that is uh, in the 7th Congressional District, how strongly you believe in it. You, If you win, you may, uh, well, mm-hmm. probably by then, uh, it would be a whole new Congress. Uh, but uh, if you were, if this battle is still going on with a Trump, you may have to vote on that. So uh, before we get to that, a little bit about your background. Is your first run for office? This is my first run for office. Mm-hmm. So um, I was born and raised on the west side of Chicago, still live in Austin. So deeply rooted in the 7th Congressional District. Um a lot of my background in organizing work started as gun violence prevention and criminal justice reform work and has now elevated into healthcare advocacy. My day job is to work as the national organizers for uh, Physicians for a National Health Program, which is essentially an organization that has a base of 20,000 doctors and medical students from across the country who are fighting to secure a single payer Medicare for all system. So for me, it's not just like a political policy talking point. I've been traveling the entire country from blood red Alabama and Louisiana and Texas all the way to the Rust Belt in Pittsburgh or the ports of entry in San Diego working with doctors and medical students to to secure a single-payer system, right? And it's the actual physicians who are advocating for this. Um, attended Von Steuben on the north side. Uh, we had a conversation about that. Um, went to school at Louisiana State University down in south uh, Louisiana in Baton Rouge um, and came back, started a community organization called Chicago Neighborhood Alliance where we focused on the reduction of gun violence and particularly civic engagement. Did a ton of work around this last municipal um, election in helping um, some of the new city councilmen get elected. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I also uh, co-authored um, House Bill 5544, the Illinois Council on Women and Girls Act. And it is essentially an advisory council to the governor and the state um, general assembly to advise them on any policies that directly impact women and girls across the state. Um, and it was actually signed under Bruce Rauner. <laughs> um, it was a extremely progressive bill, talked about transgendered rights, talked about um, expanding reproductive health care and education, talked about pay wage equity and making sure that the council was racially proportionate to the state and really during that time I traveled in 68 counties out of 102 in the state talking to different community groups 
trying to get their buy-in for the bill. And I was just like blown away at how we were all experiencing the same economic realities in these working class places. Um, so after it got passed, I thought I could do this, right? And uh, threw my hat in the ring for Illinois 7th. All right, before we get uh, go into some of the things you raised here, I got to go back to something you said. Uh, uh, you went to Von Steuben. I have to say this, folks. Okay, this is how old I am. This is how ancient I am. My oldest daughter uh, went to high school with Keena Collins. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm now seeing kids that were my, are my daughter's age running for Congress. Man, I'm like so old. Who's getting older, us or you? Like, yeah. Uh, oh, it's no. him. Yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt, <laughs> I just always him. Old man River over here, but uh, yeah. So I remember these kids when they were in high school, and now they're grown up and professional yeah. Yeah. and running for Congress. And good God! Anyway, all right, enough of that. Uh, me reminiscing about how old I am. Um, <laughs> all right, Keena Collins, single pair. Yeah. Uh, before, oh man, I, that uh, I say this all the time on the show. Uh, Dennis, that good-looking young man over there, uh, <laughs> who's the producer of the show, is he firmly believes that the Democrats can beat Donald Trump if they, without any apologies, elect or uh, nominate a candidate who says, without, like I said, just no doubt. I am for single payer. I'm going to use all the power I have as president working with Congress mm -hmm. to get a single payer. Uh, Dennis believes that this is a selling point that could enable Democrats to defeat Donald Trump. You say you've been all over the country. That's right. Alabama, you've been talking about this. Yeah. Do you agree with young Dennis over there? Dennis is 100% spot on the money. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it happens every now and again. So, so here's the facts. Like, yeah. Let's take our emotion out of it. It mm -hmm. is fiscally responsible for us to be taking on the stance of a single-payer system. And I'm not talking about Medicare for All or Medicare for America and all this other stuff that they're coming out with. This needs to be a national health insurance program um, that is streamlined. We are losing ton of money through co-pays, through premiums, through overhead, through marketing, through insurance companies who are not using those dollars to basically keep us healthy. Um, and they, they use a lot of the money to vet out sick people in our country and make more profit off of those who are healthier, right? That's why we see things, uh, huge contentions with pre-existing conditions, mm -hmm. for example. We need clean health care and this uh, clean health care bill in this country where um, it includes mental health and vision and dental and reproductive health and um, is culturally competent, right? Um, it was the defining issue in 2018. Health care is a purple issue. It's not red. It's not blue. And it quintessentially strikes at the heart of what is going on where this fight is not me and you. It's top and bottom. Mm -hmm. It's those who have and those who have not, right? And any American, whether it's a farmer, someone living in the Appalachians, someone down south, someone in the Rust Belt, someone here in Chicago, can understand that we all really are an illness away from bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And that's just, it's not a political issue, it's a moral issue. Do you think that uh, the number of people 
who have private insurance mm. and are happy with their private insurance will vote against a candidate uh, who endorses single payer or Medicare for all, whatever you want to call it, on the grounds that, well, I got mine, so why should I uh, pay for them? Well, what I would say is I would ask them how informed that are they with their insurance because a lot of insurance companies don't even cover everything. So the, the reality is, is people are not in love with their health insurance. Mm-hmm. They like the, the coverage and the providers that they have. They yeah. like their doctors, their nurses, um, folks who they interact with. They don't care about the person working at Aetna or Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, And if they really knew the profit that's being made by these insurance companies and how many people are psyched out, um, I think that this is something that that is a uniting platform um, for a lot of Americans. And uh, it's to your benefit, right? Because you should be fully covered. And a lot of folks who have insurance are not. Now, I have had this conversation for so many years since Obamacare was passed. Uh, that was one of the, it, it was a crowning achievement of Barack Obama's first term. I, mean, I don't think he got any Republican support for it. He used the, how, the majority that the Democrats had mm-hmm. at the time to get it through. And uh, my friends of the corporate Democratic persuasion uh, were saying, Ben, you're being unrealistic to hold out for uh, a single payer for a government-sponsored plan mm. that we got to keep the insurance companies in it because you don't want them to be opposed to it and using their might to defeat it. This is good pragmatic strategy. This is kind of like Rahm Emanuel type Democrats <laughs> were telling me this. Right. Okay. Um, do you think, in in retrospect, when you look back, uh, Kina, that that was a wise policy for Democrats to pursue to pass uh, a health care policy that has the insurance companies still embedded? I I just don't see the benefit. And my stance personally in this campaign, on on the campaign trail, would be we need to take privatization out of things like our healthcare industry, our education system. I mean, they even have jails privatized, which Mm -hmm. is really weird, right? Um, And and it's just contradictory to uh, what folks who believe in the Constitution say, right? Liberty, life, pursuit, and and liberty, and life. I'm sorry, liberty, life, and pursuit of happiness, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so for me, I think that if they really looked at how their doctors in particular are spending 85% of their time filling out administrative work and paperwork and not dealing with your preventative care and the the things that could keep you healthy, then they would see that it's not very smart to keep insurance companies in uh, healthcare bills. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that uh, was the only thing that a Barack Obama get. I, I will be arguing this point forever with my friends of the Rahm Emanuel corporate democratic persuasion, mm-hmm. uh, whether we could have gotten something a little more comprehensive back in 2010 or whenever it passed. All right. Uh, now let's talk about you running for the seventh congressional. That is a district that uh, historically has been on the west side of Chicago. It's it's a little more spread out now. Uh, it goes in, as you said, in the south side areas, goes into the western suburbs. Uh, the incumbent is a longtime Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, liberal Democrat, uh, Danny Davis. Uh, why should voters vote Danny Davis out of office? Well, 
First off, I would say that um, this is a part of the democratic process, right? We've had someone in leadership who served in leadership for 22 years. Um, and I think whenever we have a primary, um, constituents and voters in our district should have the opportunity to hear what are the priorities of our district and how are we going to get those things implemented and moved forward, mm-hmm. right? So um, it's important for me to mount this challenge because I think that this is what voters deserve and uh, they deserve an option. They deserve to hear different ways to move our district forward. So, and, uh, is it's, is, do you feel it's like a daunting task? I mean, the guy's been, he was, I remember his first, that's how old I am. I remember his first aldermanic election, 1979. He's been around forever. Uh, he's a well-known name. What makes you confident that you can defeat him? Well, I think that we have a groundswell right now, right? Folks are looking to be mobilized. They're looking to take an angle where we are um, implementing leadership that's interested in coalition building and movement building, right? We have a lot of pressing issues on the forefront, and we have to have a political reckoning with the Democratic Party on elevating new leadership, right? Or we get left behind in a lot of these conversations. When we talk about health care, when we're talking about the reduction of gun violence, and we see high schoolers, essentially, who can't even vote, who are pushing the envelope and saying, we need universal background checks, um, and people are slow walking in Congress, it's time that we have a serious conversation about who are we going to get to move these things forward, Um, particularly around environmental justice, right? There's a timeline on that. That's not something that we can just wait on. And so, um, for me, we we have to, like I said, engage in that coalition and movement building. And I think that we saw a lot of that in the midterms in here in the municipal elections in the city of Chicago. Now, uh, generally, when I think about uh, the, the congressional races from the 2018 that you just alluded to, uh, the, the candidates that got the Democrats most excited, it seemed like, were people like Lauren Underwood or Sean Caston, who were running in, uh, again, in areas represented by Republicans. So the notion was that you could drive out a Trump supporter and put a Democrat uh, in that person's place. So it's advancing progressive policies policies this way. In your case, you're running against a, uh, a, a Democrat who probably vote the same way yeah. you would vote on most issues. So what is the advantage to Democrats to getting somebody uh, younger and newer uh, in office, in your humble opinion? What is the advantage yeah. for Democratic voters to have someone like you in the office? So I, I think it's also... Um, approach to a lot of the legislation that will be brought forth, right? So one of the most defining things, I think, for me as a candidate um, against the incumbent who's had a long and distinguished career is that I'm not going to take corporate PAC money. I'm not going to take fossil fuel money and money from pharmaceutical companies or private insurance companies because I'm in this work, right, organizing around the country, hearing the stories of everyday Americans and um, seeing that reality lived out in places like Austin, where I live in the district, which is extremely a working class community, right? So that in itself, um, voting and approaching the legislation on how to implement it, I think is a huge difference. I think you mobilize differently uh, when you don't have the interests of corporate PACs or uh, corporate lobbyists, right? Um, And it allows you to put working class families first, Right. Because if they're the ones who you are responsible to or being held accountable to, um, 
then you won't just vote the right way. You're going to do the right thing, mm-hmm. right? Because that's who's who's with you. Um, and so for me, I've just seen across the Democratic Party how we have allowed special interest groups, lobbyists, um, like I told you, the um, the crust of a lot of my organizing work was in gun violence prevention. The NRA has bought and paid for our Congress, <laughs> um, a ton of people, and our Congress and congressional leaders. And for me, that's just not something that I'll be doing. All right. That is Keenan Collins. She's running for Congress uh, in the 7th Congressional District, the incumbent of Danny K. Davis. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to ask her the impeachment question. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. All right, everybody, after five years in Andersonville, Murray and White, a.k.a. Ben's favorite place to shop, has made the difficult uh, decision to close their doors. But everything in the store is now on sale. Notable sale items like Voluspa and Nest Fragrances brand candles (laughs) are 20% off. Maybe. I say maybe Mm -hmm. because, boy, our host, Ben Jarosky, loves him some candles. All the peppermint candles are gone. I know that much. That's his favorite candle. No, no, no. I've decided it's the cannabis-smelling ones. Oh, (laughs) cannabis-smelling candles. I think people light candles to get rid of the smell of cannabis. Oh, is that whatever, right? Whatever. Uh, Who cool. knew? Cannabis candles. I just wanted to say cannabis because that's the correct word these days. Yeah, you better right? you better start using that word. Cannabis. He loves cannabis candles, guys. Apparently, I didn't right. know they made those. Whoa. Yeah, yeah cannabis. So notable candles. sale items like Veluspa and Nest Fragrances brand candles are twenty percent off. The peppermint and the cannabis candles are gone, but these lines can rarely be found on sale. So while twenty percent isn't the largest discount, lovers of both these popular candle lines like Ben have been buying them up. All rugs are 30% off in store and new orders through June 1st. All floor sample furniture is 30 to 50% off. Antique furniture pieces 40 to 50% off. Pillows 40% off. People, you get the point. Go to Murray and White now before the doors close for good. After five years in Andersonville, Murray and White have made the difficult decision to close their doors, but right now everything's on sale. Ah, maybe not those candles because Ben Jarofsky probably bought all of them, but head to Murray <laughs> okay. and White now to save yourself some money. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, pass me the cannabis candle. (laughs) Thank you. And take us home. I knew you'd love that cannabis candle. Yes, indeed. Keena Collins running for 7th Congressional District, candidate for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. Not only is she a candidate for Congress, not only is she an advocate for single payer, not only is she standing up uh, in the fight uh, for sensible gun legislation, she plays one heck of a piano, huh, D? (laughs) That girl can play the piano. All of our guests are so good at piano. Isn't that amazing how that works? It's crazy. 
easy. She learned that at Von Steuben. All right? The music class of Von Steuben. They, some teacher taught her how to do that. All right, do you got an update for me? Heard a lot of good things about that Von Steuben. I tell you what. Maybe <laughs> yeah. it's just because I hang out with Ben Jarofsky all the time. But, okay, we have two uh, updates. Panthers. Oh, go Panthers. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, we have two updates here. Uh, number one, Chi- well, former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Take a chill pill, man. Okay, yeah, that guy. He, what is he up to now? Ben, you're going to get a kick out of this. Uh, I bet I will. All right, former Chicago Mayor and longtime Democratic operative, corporate Democratic <laughs> operative, am I right? Uh, Rahm Emanuel will join Boutique Investment Bank Centerview Partners, LLC, bringing a Rolodex built over a 30-year political career. Uh, it says here that he's going to Wall Street. Mr. Emanuel, who left the, the office last <laughs> month, will open a Chicago office for Centerview and advise clients on merger deals <laughs> and other matters, he said in a joint interview uh. today with Centerview co-founders Blair Efron and Robert Pruzan, okay. two people who will never be on this program. <laughs> they sound really rich. But uh, yeah, Mayor Rob uh, going to Wall Street. Uh, I think Stephen, uh, one of our listeners weighed in, what's a corporate Democrat? Yeah. Uh, Stephen, that pretty much sums it all up right there. By the way, I knew it was just a matter of time before Rob cut that deal. Man. And, uh, you know, he ruled as though uh, he was already looking out for the interests of uh, his hedge fund friends, his investor friends. Wow. Uh, Keenan Collins, that is something else, you know. I didn't think he was going to go work like in a uh, domestic violence shelter or going to, you know, work for advocating for uh, sensible gun control or for single payer. I mean, after your administration has been complicit in a, a cover up of the murder of a child, I don't think you do those things either. Yeah. Right. So I'm not, I, I went to the uh, screening last night for 16 shots. Oh, yeah. Um, that three years ago running for Congress was not in the plan, right? I was on the front lines with William Calloway and Camila Williams and um, a lot of the youth activists and people thought we were crazy for participating um, in those protests. But the documentary, and I hope everybody watches it um, when it comes out, it really shows how we basically cratered the entire existence of what the Chicago machine really is. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, pretty much taken down by a bunch of 17 to 24 year olds yeah. who just had had enough. Yeah. So no. I'm not Six, surprised with Ron. Yeah. 16 shots. Yeah. It's, I just saw, I haven't seen it, but I heard it's coming out. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be good. Do you got another update from the former mayor to the current mayor, Lori Lightfoot today added another round. Though this, by the way, comes from the one and only Fran, the woe man Spielman <laughs> in the Chicago sun times. Okay. Mayor Lightfoot on uh, today added another round to the seemingly endless parade of ethics reforms tailor made to change the culture of City Hall corruption laid bare by the racketeering indictment against Alderman Ed Burke. That's a good writing, Fran. You're not playing around. Lightfoot's plan includes allowing the city inspector general to audit city uh, council committees, banning some, but not all, outside employment for aldermen and higher fines for ethics violations. She went on to say that this does uh, is because of Ed Burke. Here's the quote from Lightfoot. There's no mistake that this is designed to address the problem of Ed Burke trying to monetize his position as an alderman and as a chairman. Yeah, I would take the word trying out of that sentence. He did monetize his position as chairman of the finance committee, as the alderman of the 14th Ward, by having a property tax business. And uh, I don't know what the constitutionality is of banning aldermen from outside employment in terms of saying, like, you cannot have a property tax business. I certainly see the merit in banning uh, such an operation. I've had this conversation with property tax lawyers who are also politicians for a long time. There's a definite conflict of interest, in my humble opinion, when uh, the chief financial 
uh, what is he, overseer in the city council of all contracts, of all TIF deals, uh, is also a property tax attorney and is able uh, to shake down business from people who get their hand out looking for, you know, uh, a TIF money uh, for their developments that they probably don't even need. So, yeah, it's it's a long time coming. I welcome it. Uh, and to the point that Kena was making, I think they're tied together. I think uh, that the uh, eruption of protests that uh, took place around, it started around November, around Thanksgiving of 2015, when the Laquan McDonald video was first released, right. uh, in one way or another sort of led uh, to just the general dissatisfaction mm -hmm. with the way things are done in the city of Chicago. Uh, and then, of course, ultimately worked to Lori Lightfoot's benefit, even though, ironically, mm -hmm. many of the activists yep. who are at the forefront of the movement uh, uh, against the policies of Rahm in relation to Laquan McDonald did not support Lori Lightfoot. Yeah, we remember her from the police board meeting and hearings. At this point, you know, it's just um, accountability, right? She is in that position now. So um, it is up to us as the collective, as the greater community of Chicago to hold her accountable. And you can say the right things, but we have to see the action behind it. Mm -hmm. Yep. You're not afraid of saying that, even though she's now the most powerful person in the city of Chicago? I mean, I don't think that, I think that account saying that holding someone accountable is not just only an act of resistance, it's an act of love. That's how you say you. I love my community is when I'm going to hold elected officials and those who have power accountable, right? Um, and that's not a slight to her. That's that should be for everybody, right? Like anybody who's an elected official. Um, and so I think that when you know better, you do better. And as a community, as activists, as organizers, um, we know better, right? When we were doing the, the protest um, three years ago and even further, because there were activists who had started with Rakia Boyd, right? Um, we had no clue. <laughs> we just knew that it was wrong, right? This is wrong. And um, we did it peacefully. And I don't know if a lot of people paid attention to other um, direct actions that were happening around happening around the country. Um, but we exercised our constitutional right to an economic boycott mm. and it worked. Right. And then we built on that and we kept building and uh, also got other people elected into city council now. Right. And so. Um, I, I would hope that, you know, her administration and, you know, her would take that as a challenge, you know, to do what hasn't been done in Chicago in a really long time. And that's to do good and seek justice. All right. Now, let me ask you the impeachment question. You were sitting here listening to Jim Coogan and Monroe Anderson talk about the pending showdown between uh, Democrats in Congress and Donald Trump and mm -hmm. the Democrats. You would be, if you were a, a victorious, one of those Democrats in Congress are demanding that Donald Trump turn over evidence, uh, have some of his former aides testify, whole picks, et cetera, before Congress, uh, Congressional Committee. Uh, the Trump White House is so far resisting. Uh, it could come down to uh, a judicial order whether uh, he will actually order his aides uh, to turn over evidence. Um, this is where we're heading. Uh, Kina, <laughs> do you support right now an impeachment process, a procedure to uh, have an impeachment vote and uh, put the essentially put the president on trial? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, his administration has had a complete lack of regard for the Constitution, for the checks and balances in the Constitution. He has implemented um, unconstitutional executive orders like the Muslim ban, 
um, supporting things like these abortion bans that are happening across the states, which we know is unconstitutional because of Roe v. Wade. We have seen a full-on attack. This is someone who has called neo-Nazis, who marched through the streets of Charlottesville and said, Jews will not replace us, very fine people, and murdered somebody. He, um, there's a plethora of things, right? And all personal feelings to the side, let's just talk about the nitty gritty, the investigation that, or the report that was released um, has not only been compromised by the current attorney, U.S. Attorney General, but we know that the that uh, there has been insinuation that yeah, there are charges in those that filing and in that report um, that warrants investigation, articles of impeachment, and a trial that needs to take place. Um, my frustration comes when we have leadership in the Democratic Party, right? Because we know where the GOP stands on this. When we have representation in the Democratic Party that are using excuses like the polling doesn't show mm -hmm. that Americans want the president impeached. Number one, we know that polls change. The natures of polls change. And as a matter of fact, if we go back to Richard Nixon, when he was, they were beginning the impeachment process for him, he had a 65% approval rating in the country and only 19% of the country wanted impeachment charges on him. By the end of the trial, the numbers had flipped mm -hmm. and he had a 25% approval rating and over 57% of Americans agreed that he needed to be impeached. So what what do you what do you, what's your sense of what the attitude is in the seventh congressional? Uh, do you think people are paying attention? Do you think people uh, care about this issue? Uh, do you think they would support an impeachment? How important of an issue do you think this is in the in the seventh congressional district? So our district is a true blue district. We are a D plus thirty eight. We're extremely progressive. So we know just, you know, off those basic D facts. plus 38 means that the Democrat yes. gets 38 percent points. Well, <laughs> Meaning that's that a you, Democratic district. district. We're, we're probably we're the bluest in Illinois and all of Illinois. We are, I think, number four in the country. Wow. You're bluer than the first. Yeah, we're bluer than the first district. Wow. We're bluer than the first. Um, you can't be bluer than this room. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bluest room. <laughs> you did anybody in this room ever vote a Republican? But I mean, even with that, every blue won't do, Ben. Because look at what's happening. We are not. This is about the morality of our country. Like, forget if you think the polling says what's right and what's wrong. He has exhibited egregious behaviors and attacks not only against our congressional leaders, but he has aligned himself with folks who are enemies to the United States of America mm -hmm. and alienated our allies. So this is a fiscal issue. This is a social issue. It's a political issue, and it needs to be a moral issue. All right. I think there's no denying that uh, if Keena Collins was in Washington <laughs> right now, vote for impeachment. <laughs> All right. I'd have the banner. The vote for impeachment. Uh, and uh, one more time, thank you very much, Kina, for coming in. I appreciate it. And uh, Kina, once again, is running for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. We had Anthony Clark uh, on yesterday, Danny K. Davis. We're going to reach out to him as well. Uh, I think it's really important that a, a district uh, that is as blue as the one that Kina 
is running in, as she just uh, stated, mm -hmm. uh, really have the most progressive candidates in the world because you know you're not going to get punished for taking progressive views or yeah. liberal views, whatever you call them, in the seventh. Maybe Lauren Underwood could say, "Well, I got to you know walk a fine line because I'm in a purple district," but whoever is the uh, congressperson or congresswoman, congressman from the seventh has no excuse. So Keena Collins, thank you very thank much you. for stopping in. Also want to thank the great Jim Coogan and Monroe Anderson. That was a blast talking to them about Trump, Trump, Trump. And Trump, Leah did a great job as she does every day with her interviews. Ooh, she's Leah. fantastic. Uh, she's the pride and joy of the city of Chicago. <laughs> and of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the boards from Alton, Illinois. You know what they call him down in Alton, Illinois? Keena Collins? They call him White Lightning. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. no one's ever called me that in my life. Anyway, Dr. D, Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com slash Jarofsky. Well, I think it's now chicago.suntimes.com slash pages slash Jarofsky. I don't know what happened there. And chicagoreader.com or wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Find us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, and the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram. At Ben will probably reply to you in like a week or something. See you tomorrow.